Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. So here we are already deeply into uh, the, the college football season. We may not know everything that's going to happen. We don't. That's why we keep watching. We don't know everyone who's good and everyone who's not. Uh, we don't know how it's going to turn out, obviously, but we're in a pretty good sense now, I think, of which teams are what. I had a bad week in terms of picks, and I thought I might. I got a feeling this would be a week where I might take a beating. But it was an information gathering for, for me. So now I really didn't trust UCLA. And I don't, I don't know. But I kind of thought this might be a game where Rosen rose to the occasion, so to speak. And not that he didn't play well, but you know he uh, he was who he was. He is who he is. His team is somewhat. Flawed, obviously. I mean, I don't think that's really news to anybody, quite frankly. But uh, I've been a big fan of, uh, you know, they go about the other quarterbacks in that equation. And I think hopefully uh, other people will, will come to view Riley Ferguson as a, a pretty good pro prospect. Uh, maybe not, you know, top 20 or 50 even, but maybe, you know, they. You know, maybe day two, hopefully. But yes, um, I see I've been joined by my always necessary, always wonderful, always insightful co-host, one Mr. Gentleman James Coburn. How you doing, Jim? Pretty good. Well, first of all, I am very pleased that everything's well with you. That's the most important thing, I believe. Uh, I'm very pleased. I'm reminded of really, you know, let's just say what really matters with recent events. But uh, now that we're here, let's talk talk college football. Uh, there's a lot of good college football played today. A lot of a lot of happened. <laughs> uh, but tell, talk me through the players that caught your eye, impressed you, that you uh, you may or may not have already had your eye on, or may have already you know, thought would be big time. And then, obviously, anyone that you already had identified that, that continued to impress. But, you know, take me through it. Sure. Uh, well, I, you know, the one guy, Mason Rudolph, um, you know, quarterback from Oklahoma State, uh, I felt like he had – he's been putting up pretty decent performances um, this last one, he showed a little bit. I always find it odd, Bill, because my my big issue with him is just the deep ball. Uh, yeah, uh, so, uh, he, he was looking to have today over that. You would think he had a bad game, in fact. You know, despite the numbers. Yeah. Yeah, and the, uh, the deep ball is really just sort of he just kind of 
chucks it up there, and then, you know, the wide receivers just seem to be able to get under you know? So, um, it, it's just kind of an up-for-grabs kind of situation. And he did have a couple plays here and there where he, you know, kind of left the pocket and threw down the field, um, you know, which I, I don't know why, Bill, but, like, if you're a draft footer scout, you kind of, lose, you know, you're, you're, you lose your mind over quarterbacks that can leave the pocket and throw it down the field. Um, you know, that's like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with those guys. Everybody knew that pretty much. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but, yeah, I mean, I I felt like he had a good performance uh, against them overall. And plus it's Pittsburgh. I mean, I, I kind of respect their secondary a little bit more than other teams. You know, they have they have a lot of guys that are kind of smart back, you know, Jordan Whitehead and um, uh, a couple of their cornerbacks too. But, you know, like, you know, he had a pretty decent game. Um. <laughs> With the whole UCLA thing, I mean, I it's UCLA, man. It's it's one of the most dysfunctional teams in college football. It, it's been that way since last year. Some of it's a combination of, of Rosen being Rosen, and then you got the offensive line, which is a mess, and the wide receiver core that's kind of a mess, and you have the defense that has lots of uber-athletic, talented guys who – play like a bunch of robots who don't really know what they're doing. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, you know, it's kind of like a lot of the guys that are in the NFL right now, like Eddie Vanderdose and all those other guys. Like, sure, Eddie Vanderdose is a really athletic, powerful guy, but he doesn't really know what he's doing, you know? He's – and a lot – I just get a sense from UCLA's defense consistently that they have all these, like, athletic guys that, you know, they, they're told to do this and told to do that, but they don't – they don't actually get to that next level of, you know, understanding, you know, like higher, higher level of thinking, I guess, is the best way to, you know, higher level of critical thinking, you know, like there, there'd be people who would do really well on a test, but in real life, you know, with actual things happening, they probably wouldn't do that, that well, you know, having to, having to go beyond just getting all the answers right on a test and actually applying it to actual football games. So, um, but yeah, I mean they they definitely showed their stuff. Now the TCU game, I I caught a little bit of that. Of uh, you know Kenny Hill, Kitty Trill, uh, you know he looked pretty decent. Um, I do I do agree about uh, you know Riley Ferguson as well. You know he's a guy that that caught my eye last year too. Um, Anthony Miller, his wide receiver mate, to, is another guy who who people are starting to. Um, get to know as well uh, who I had him as my number one sleeper wide receiver um, going into the year. So I, I felt like he just his general approach as a route runner, stuff like that. And he's not related to the other Anthony Miller, by the way. So you don't have to, you know, like you don't have to feel old about Anthony Miller Jr. of Memphis, I guess, because he's not related, but he, I, I do see him as a pretty decent wide receiver. I discovered this dude. <laughs> well, they would, you know, they would have discovered him if they watched Memphis last year, I guess. But they, I guess they didn't watch. Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> he's been clouded cold for about three years now. Yeah, he's been putting in work for a while, and definitely this game kind of um, really highlighted him. Which you know, it's it's cool, you know, like hey, welcome, you know, welcome to the party, you know, type of thing. Um, <laughs> yes, there you go. But, uh, yeah, but they, you know, they played well in Memphis. You know, their defense, 
Um, yeah, I don't know. It shouldn't be surprised because Memphis is a good football team, and they've been a good football team for the last you know couple years now. So yeah. um, I don't really see it as that no. big of a deal. It wasn't all you freeze. They, they got something going there. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it. You know, it's kind of odd because of that. Of course, it's the the Tennessee-Florida game. And John Kelly did – you know, John Kelly, it's a funny comp to make because, you know, but I guess I just have to cash in on on the success of Kareem Hunt, I guess. But John Kelly really reminds me of kind of like a a Kareem Hunt-like back. He's not as big as Hunt, but he's just that sort of – I think he's got better long – he's got better long speed also. Yeah. He's got a – you know, high four fours, low four fives. Yeah, but he's just that kind of, he's that kind of, you know, that little back, uh, you know, he's not like super big, but he's kind of like that little back who just is, you know, really great balance, um, you know, really powerful for his size, uh, you he's, know, and just you keeps, know, keeps chains moving. I see him as a slightly sort of, not slender, but he's not slender, but I mean, not quite as stumpy as, as Ahmad Bradshaw, but like if, a Bradshaw, if Rob Bradshaw were a little taller, Slightly less sawed off looking, but faster. That's who that kid is. I mean, he's like a he's got the balance and the the, the really good uh, because he can, he's not just a, a space guy. He can you know run between the tackles. He's he's got good interior running instincts. He has good hands. I didn't see how well he held up in the you know blitz pickup part of the passing game. I, I have to watch him more for that, and that's that's a big thing obviously for making the transition, but. But I like him, and I wonder if he might not be the best of – I mean, no offense to the people who love any of other Tennessee's other recent running backs, but I think he might be the best of the recent bunch there because he seems to have a lot oh, yeah. of the elements that the other guys had, but, like, all in the same guy instead of being, well, we've got and this guy who does this. And all working at the same time, you know, yeah, and, 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 working, and working in all the games consistently, not coming on in one game and then not on in, the, in, in another game. You know. Yes, correct. Some of yes. Them. Consistency is what I think they call that, Jim. Yeah, no offense to Alvin Kamara, but, you know, you, you got a couple games and then you have other games where you – yeah, you, you know, Alvin Kamara's the type of guy that had a game where he broke, like, six yeah. tackles, and then yeah. you have another game where he couldn't break a single tackle, you know, like, he's, he's that there type of games, guy, you know. There are games where he disappeared, and, I mean, there are games where – Back when he and Heard were, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever, uh, Thunder and Lightning, whatever, whatever you call that, there are games where he looked like a tremendous prospect. There's games where he looked like he didn't like contact. And the other games, like that, where he busted tackles, looked like a complete back. Like, there's a time he looked like the best running back or one of the best running backs in all of college football, and games where he got, you know, four carries and two catches and, you know, 29 total scrimmage yards. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't care what you do sometimes. If you have a game where you go for 29 total yards, counting receptions, I just can't buy you as a first-round prospect. Barry Sanders no. never had games like that against anybody. You know, Thurman no. Thomas never had games like that against anybody. Talk in Edward James' game in college where he ever did that. Well, he was a starter. You won't find it. He won't. He didn't do that. What did he get a starter? They don't. But it, it, it's fact. It, it's funny. It's facts, and yet people people don't. They're facts people don't subscribe to. 
you know, inconvenient truths, whatever you want to call it. I mean, if you're going to be a great running back, you, you better be productive and at least consistently productive, you know. So the word consistency is one of those things that I see people, like people will just point out if a guy is inconsistent. They, they really point out if a guy is consistent and still seem to value consistency nearly as much as they should. No, they don't, you know. Because the only thing people, people value it is in their fantasy football team. Well, yeah, because the, you know, then you, you know, you want to win each week. You don't want to have a guy that just, you know, <laughs> that's what coaches should be thinking too. You want to win each week, or do you want to have one where you play well and another week where he doesn't play well? You know, because that's what you're getting. You know, and I don't know. And it applies to everything. It applies to quarterbacks. It applies, to, you know, every position. It just amazes me. Position. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Especially quarterback. I mean, quarterback is the one position where you can study quarterback play from the beginning of time. And yeah, you'll have a, a Brett Favre here and there. You know, you'll have that guy. But for the most part, if you want to win football games, you have these ultra, you know, consistent. Every game, even their worst game, is kind of a really good game type quarterbacks, you know. So, but here's you know. You get the occasional Brett Favre. Well, by occasional, we mean one. But most of the Brett Favre's are Buddy Brister. Pretty much. Um, you know, or Brock Osweiler, or, you know, or name a, you know, name another quarterback, you know, that just um, <laughs> is, like, inconsistent, but people – still believe, you know, type thing, but yeah, I mean, but so, I mean, so far this week, I mean, it's, you know, I think the quarterback, I mean, that's the biggest thing to me. And then of course you have the whole Lamar Jackson thing, which, you know, Lamar Jackson hasn't played yet, but I don't know. He better, he better not look bad because if he does, he'll never get to play quarterback in the NFL. At least that's what I'm hearing. I, I understand that, but, but like this, this is my, this is my biggest thing with Lamar Jackson. Okay is people keep saying, he, you know, that there seems to be this sort of undercurrent of, well, he's a wide receiver. And these are the same people that said that Greg Ward was a wide receiver, the same people that, you know, Triple say. Yeah. yeah, and it really, and it's not even like a really a race, like 100% a race thing. Like, it's not just because he's, you know, black. It's because he's black, but he doesn't have the look of what they think, you know, a black quarterback should look like. You know, like, he's not Cam Newton. You know, he's not, like, 6'5", 230 pounds and can take a beating. He's not, you know, like Dominic McNabb. You know, it's kind of 6'2", and kind of, you know, bulky kind of guy. He's not even really Michael Vick, even, because Michael Vick, you know, is more of a, well, you know, kind of, uh, you know, bigger, stronger, you know, thicker kind of dude. You know, when they look at Lamar Jackson, they just see RG3 and they remember what happened with him, you know, in terms of size and stuff like that, um, which but, but even, there's... But even for the sake of argument, let's say that's, quote, unquote, who he is as a prospect. The outcome right. would still be different. I mean, geez, RG3 didn't have to turn out like he did if, if one, his camp, if, if what I'm hearing is true, if his camp didn't start demanding certain things or whatever. And if the Redskins almost, or some of the Redskins staff, almost seeming to want to spite him, decided to do other certain, there seemed to be a lot of hubris and pride and wars of, yeah, you know, 
turf wars or whatever regarding the development of one Robert Griffith III. And I can't help but wonder if other humans were involved. If he had gone to Seattle instead, you know, or if he'd gone to Buffalo instead, if the ending of that story would have not been a very different ending. Oh, I agree. But my big thing is, I guess the point I'm just trying to get to is we need to stop judging quarterbacks by physical characteristics and start judging them by what they can actually do on a football field, you know? Like, instead of instead of getting into this mood of, well, you know, a quarterback has to be six foot five and they have to be 240 pounds and they, you know, have to run this offense and they have to do this and they have to do that. Why don't we actually judge them based on what they actually do, you know, like what they can do, you know, on film. And what I've seen from Lamar, I mean, sure, I still have lots of questions about Lamar Jackson just because a lot of the defenses he's playing so far have just been, again, shooting, you know, because they're so afraid of him as a runner, they're just giving up everything in terms of, you know, zone coverage. But, you know, this might actually be the first game against Clemson's defense because they got a really good defense. They got a good defensive line. They got good corners. They got pretty decent safeties, of course. So this is going to be like the first, I'm not going to say it's an NFL defense, but, you know, they got a lot of talent. So this is going to be like a, a decent, at least to me, a better test than some of the other defenses. And then we'll see how he does, you know, because there were, there were moments in some of those other games where, you know, he wasn't all the way there in terms of his accuracy. You know, like he's not the most naturally accurate kind of quarterback. I mean, that was my only criticism from him last year, you know, and, and some of that kind of showed up this year here and there. But this is like the first game where I kind of want to see how he does, you know, against a fairly decent defense. Does he does he maintain the accuracy he's been he's had over the last couple of games, or does it start to deteriorate a little bit when you know you're playing a little bit tougher defense? Yeah, for for me, the things I want to see, well, obviously mental processing, right? We always talk about is someone a slow processor or a fast processor. Now, to me. That's what's changed a lot. He seems to have sped up his processing of information, which you expect, which is why I like to see guys stay in college, but I'll side about that argument for a moment and not go on that many rants. But the, you, you can see a dramatic difference. I can see. I won't say what he wants to be. I can see a dramatic difference in how quickly he makes decisions and how accurate his decision-making process has become. He, does he occasionally miss something or does he occasionally pass up a check down to make a more high difficulty throw down the field, which he sometimes does or sometimes doesn't connect on? Yes, like every college quarterback I've ever seen, uh, he does that. Especially the ones who have the ability to drive the ball, uh, he will pass up certain things. Sometimes, he, sometimes it might even be the quote-unquote right decision, depending upon you know, what the offense dictates and sound and distance, et cetera. The two, does he put the ball where his receivers can not only catch it, but continue, you know, to make yardage? I mean, that's the other way to think. You know, is, is the ball not just, you know, caught and catchable, which generally, you know, most of the time, like, like any decent quarterback, most of the time he's getting the ball to a place where the receiver can catch it. Sometimes he makes the receiver extend outside of their frame when he doesn't have to. There's times you you have to do that because of where the defender is or trying to protect them, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes he's doing it when he doesn't have to. And the last thing is, like we talk about guys like Russell Wilson, 
who do operate outside the pocket and do it very intelligently in such a way that they don't take big hits. Now, he has thus far shown the ability to avoid big hits. He hasn't taken a lot of big hits. You know, we, we all remember some of the hits we've seen, the quote-unquote global quarterback take, but what kills me is people never bring up all the ridiculous shots that the guy's taken inside the pocket. And, I mean, the fact that quarterbacks, if they're playing good defenses and their offensive line isn't great and Louisville isn't, they're going to get hit. They're going to take shots. It's part of the deal. It's what happens. The question is, do you know whether in the pocket or outside the pocket, do you know how to do what you can do to minimize the damage to yourself? And some quarterbacks get that, and a lot of quarterbacks sadly don't. Exactly. Yeah. No, I agree. And, you know, I and he's definitely a really fun player to watch. I mean, you know, like if he wins the Heisman again this year. Oh, he's, he's, the most, he's the most fun player to watch. If that's what we're going by, you know, there's, he's won that already, in my mind at least. Yeah. Oh, and then another thing that happened this week, uh, uh, I don't know if you, uh, you know, you heard about this, you hear about this, uh, uh, Mike, uh, Galilke or uh, McGlinky uh, or McGlinche. Um, you know, I'll have to get that name right eventually. Um, but he he has not been, he's not had the best week for a couple no. weeks. No, and he's not going to. I mean, elite. We, we, we said this about him last year, and I don't think it's changed, that as long as he faces guys who are not terribly powerful and not super able to redirect, if he faces guys who are kind of like one, one speed, one you know, like a one pitch wonder, like a if a pitcher has a really good slider, but fastball, man, he's never have a curveball and his changeup is basically just a slower fastball with no real movement. It, same thing with with pass rushers. If pass rushers he's facing are kind of all one speed, one move kind of guys, but who aren't particularly aren't super explosive, he's fine. But God help him to be everything Von Miller in the flesh. It will be exactly that. Exactly. And it amazes me. I don't know, you know, again, I get told to watch the tape every day, Bill. Every every day I get comments to watch the tape. And I'm just like I, I'm watch, I'm watching the tape and I'm not I'm not liking what I'm seeing, especially for a guy that people are saying is a, you know, a top 10 tackle a guy, you know, draft that high. And there's no doubt that he does some things well. I mean, sure, you know, hand usage is great. If he gets his hands on you, he can, you know, does a pretty good job. But if you're asking this guy, you know, if it's the Super Bowl and, you know, Von Miller is, is lining up, uh, Justin Houston, like let's say Kansas City keeps doing what they're doing. But the ship Muhammad's are back. I mean, he's gonna need help. He didn't need a lot of help. You're gonna, you, 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 you should be paying that tight end more than him. I, I'm always amazed by that. You know, like there's all these teams that pay these tackles all this money, and I'm like, you should be paying the tight end that's helping that tackle. You know, keep his, his sack stats low because the tight end's really helping him out more than anything else. He should be getting more money. But um, yeah, I mean, you know. I don't know. I mean, he's he's that he's that type of tackle that comes out every you know every couple of years. You know, he who has a certain type of skill set that, that people gravitate to. 
but they just don't get athleticism on the offensive line. I mean, I don't know how many more videos I have to do or how many more articles I have to do, Bill, or how, how many more offensive coaches I have to talk because, you know, there just seems to be this prevailing thing, you know, with all these articles coming to all offensive line, you know, we just don't know what to do. They're just not being coached enough. You know, it's a spread offense. Is this, is that. It's like, okay, sure, it, it probably – the spread probably affects things a little bit. Sure, the, the, these other things probably affect things too. But if you're putting out below-average athletes to tackle and guard, what do you expect going to happen? You know, like when they when they have to face the Geno Atkins, the, the, the they have to face the the uh, um, you know Muhammad Wilkerson Wilkerson's and the uh, everybody, the well, Mike they, Daniels even. You know, Mike Daniels, yeah. <laughs> like, this is the funniest thing, because there's this guy who, uh, I forgot his name, but he kept, you know, he kept sending me messages, like, you know, should I start Mike Daniels this week? Should I start? And I'm like, cause, you know, because I was doing a lot of athletic matchups, you know, interior offensive linemen and, uh, against defensive linemen. And I was just like, listen, man, Mike Daniels is about the, he's the third most explosive defensive tackle or just interior lineman period in the NFL right now. Like, he's that explosive in terms of lower yep. body strength pop. So yep. you should start him every week if you want to, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, there's nobody that's going to match up with him in terms of his lower body power. Like, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, he's good to go. Unless he's not healthy, unless, he, you know, he has an injury or a hamstring or, you know, you know whatever nose tackles typically get, uh, you know, in terms of injuries, he, he should be fine. You know, but at the same time, you just can't take this approach of, well, we're going to start these unathletic, below-average athlete tackles and think that you can just get away with it. And we've seen with teams like the Seahawks. And it, it amazes me, but when you when you just look at the Seahawks offensive line, you know, in terms of what they – in terms of tackle situation that they, they've been putting out there. And then you look at the Denver Broncos where they have Middle League Watson playing right tackle, you know. Like, and sure, it's right tackle. And sure, it's right tackle. I mean, sure, it's right tackle. So, like, you know, but at the same time, he's a guy that that isn't fast. He's he's not very flexible. And that's the biggest thing. He's just really, really uh, not not flexible. Um, And, you know, as a result, what do you expect is going to happen? Well, he's going to give up a bunch of sacks. So, I just think it's a combination of teams just – whatever reason, just not valuing athleticism testing. And it's not just about one thing. It's not just about the 40. It's not just about, you know, the vertical and the broad jump. It's just everything. And um, I think the same thing can be applied when it comes to scouting college offensive linemen where, you know, you just watch him on tape and you go, wow, he's pretty good. And then you see him go up against these speed guys. And for whatever reason, like people just kind of, you know, like they just turn their brain off. Like, you know, when a tackle is getting beat, exceptionally, like, just right from the gun getting beat in terms of, you know, when he gets, he's getting into his pass set, that's, that should raise red flags because if that was an elite tackle, he should be able to compensate for that, you know, in some way, whether it's his own athleticism, his, his explosion, whatever. So, yeah, but, yeah, I think Mike McGlinchey or McGlinchey is just one of those guys that, I, I you know, I don't know what's going to happen with him. You know, he could end up being a, you know, still a top 10 tackle because that that's that just happens you know for whatever reason like they just kind of stick with their original thing but yeah I I just hope these last couple weeks especially against guys like Harold Landry you know especially 
can kind of wake people up that, hey, you know, we should be, instead of watching Notre Dame every week, we should be watching some other, you know, some other tackles, you know, uh, and see and see what they got. Because right now, you know, sticking to uh, Mike, Ma, you know, McGlinche is, is not going to, it's not going to give you what you want, especially if you, if you think this guy is a first-round tackle. Because as of right now, he's just not first-round tackle, you know, in terms of what the term means to me. You just lowered the standards of what it takes to be a first-round tackle, which I'm wondering if that's what's happening. But well, people, it, it seems like it, it seems like it's what the NFL does, you know, because, like, they're still drafting the same amount of tackles. They just seem to be drafting the athletic ones, and then they just say, oh, you know, we have an offensive line crisis, you know. Like, <laughs> and the funny thing is, is they're drafting – and the other thing is, is they're drafting these unathletic tackles that aren't like technicians, you know, or at the very, you know, like they don't really have very high football intelligence, you know. Um, not to say that they're dumb, but it's just that, you know, they're not the smartest guy ever. They're not perfect in terms of technique. They're not perfect in terms of one thing. And on top of that, they're not athletic. And that's even scarier if you think about it, you know, that not only are they not athletic, but they, they also, you know, aren't, very, uh, you know, smart to kind of compensate for something. Because there's definitely guys that are, you know, super smart about the position that can, you know, compensate for it. But, you know, if you draft a guy who's raw, who's unathletic, I mean, that that seems like the worst situation you know, out of all the situations, you know. Yeah, you mean you mean T.J. Clemens? Yeah, T.J. Clemens. Although, I mean, T.J. Clemens is athletic, but he's super, you know, he's raw. You know, he's just super duper, you know, super, super duper raw. I mean, you know, but Eric Flowers, you know, guys like that, you know, just to point out a guy, you know, because cause Eric Flowers has been uh, getting some not so good love, but, you know. Right. I mean, it's funny because I, I was hearing, you know, whenever a DJ Humphreys or a TJ Clemmings or a Flowers happens, there's all these people seem shocked somehow that these guys didn't quite pan out. When everything that we know about what helps people to secure that position is telling us they're not going to succeed. Well, pretty much. I mean, I mean, the the issue of Humphreys. I mean, some of the main issues that he he's okay. He he's somewhat athletic, but he's not elite athletic. He had you know he's six foot five. And, you know, I've already done my whole spiel about taller tackles typically doing better. But the, the tackles that are six foot five and do really well are guys like Trent Williams, you know, and Jason Peters, um, you know, Come Walter on. Jones. Right. Yeah. Yes. yes. They're guys super like athletes. Yeah. Super duper crazy, ridiculous. You know, you will believe a, 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 you know, a giant person can fly type guy, you know, type people. Um. But DJ Humphreys is not exactly that. And he's raw. Nope. And he's young. And, you know, as far as immaturity or whatever, you know, you don't want to throw that onto it, which, you know, who that's just based on what Arizona says, you know, because they seem to, you know, they, they unathleticism, I guess, is, is immaturity, I suppose. <laughs> um, but, um, and again, it's not to say that he's a bad athlete. It's just, you know, when, when, you, when you draft a tackle and you say, this guy's going to be the next Tyron Smith, when he has more athleticism traits in common with like Billy Turner, you know, from, you know, North Dakota State, 
But it, you know, amazes me. You know, like, yo, yeah, this guy's the next Tyrant. Because that was what people were saying. He's the next Tyron Smith. You know, and I just felt like that was, it was just ludicrous. It's crazy. Well, I mean, yeah. as you pointed out, I mean, not just like Tyron Smith. He didn't test like uh, Jake Fisher. He didn't test like, I mean, there's a lot of. No. Who were, who were a little bit a lot closer, at least. Well, again, he's yeah, Tony Turner, you know. Yeah, right. Now, like I said, I he's, uh, he's had a version. If they told people that, uh, they well, they would probably there. change their mind, you know. I mean, it, or like Andres Pete, you know, like the go the going through of Andres Pete is that he's Andre Whitworth, you know, with Andres Pete. I mean, that was the go- that was what everybody was put. That was the narrative people were pushing, and I'm not saying that they don't have athleticism traits in common, but Andres Pete actually was kind of like uh, a less athletic Langston Walker, you know, versus uh, 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 a a Whitworth, you know. Like, they're just a little bit off. Like, they don't understand how being 20 points away from somebody is actually really off. That, that always amazes me, you know, when, when people go, well, his vertical isn't the same, but they're pretty much the same guy, right? You know, like, no, you know, like, like if, if you're going to say a guy is an elite player, like a J.J. Watt or an Aaron Donald, you know, whatever, and you're like, well, everything is the same except for this one thing, so he must be this guy, you're, 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 you're ignoring how this, I'm not going to say how this works, but you're ignoring the big picture that that one thing that's off could be, could be big. It's like with wide receivers that, you know, have really terrible explosive or body strength. You know, like guys that are super fast and super flexible, like Tavon Austin, right? Tavon Austin is a guy that ran really fast, you know, pretty good flexibility testing. Vertical and broad jump were ter- horrible, Bill. Like, is it, <laughs> isn't, just, the answer, isn't the answer to that Antonio Brown to those that want to sort of defend that? Yeah, but Antonio Brown was more explosive than Tavon Austin, Bill. I mean, like Antonio Brown was was at least like he wasn't terrible, you know. Like Tavon Austin was with single digits, supposed to lower body strength. You know, Antonio Brown was was definitely not amazing, but he was about forty to thirty. You know, like I'm saying, sing, single digits here. You, you know what oh. I'm saying? Like that's a different, a different land that we're that we're working from. You know, it's a different place. Your face would be unimpressive and terrifyingly low. Is what you're talking about. Pretty much. It's like, do you even, you know, I'm not going to say lift, but, you know, like, do you even do other other things than just this, you know, like, do you, it, how, how does your leg day go, I guess is all I'm trying to say, you know, do you just yeah, go in there and do a couple squats and that's it, and, you know, you're done, or do you actually, you know, do a bunch of things all, you know, do a ton of things all together, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, it just, that's the other thing that just kind of bugs me. Is is and it's with offensive linemen as well, where you you see a guy like Matt Khalil and you go, wow, the the forty and the short shell and three count, pretty dang good. So he must be amazing, and he's another guy that, based on his explosive or body strength testing, was single digits as well in terms of explosive or body strength. You know, so and and people always go, what, what does that have to do with anything? And I, like it's explosiveness. Like 
it doesn't matter how fast you are, how flexible you are. If you're not explosive out of your stance, you're losing the battle already. You know, when it comes to just being a tackle, being a, you know, being an edge defender or whatever you want to call it, a preventer, right? That's what they want to call them. You know, preventers. There you go. Yeah. That's the term. The preventers. If you're, if you're playing a preventer position, wouldn't it be advantageous to have really good explosiveness out of your stance? I would think it. I would think it would. You know, right? Because it will help you with venting. <laughs> exactly. You know, and sure, if you can get your hand, and that's and that kind of boils down to Mike. You know, McGlinche is I. I think he's a guy that def, he might. I'm not gonna say he's gonna run fast because he may. I don't even think he's gonna run fast, but he's a guy that you know he may have good flexibility testing. Uh, my 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 prediction is five two one. You can vault me on that. My prediction for Vinci is five to one. Yeah, so, so he might he might not run fast. He might have really good flexibility testing because I think he might. I mean, he's he's pretty flexible, you know, for a guy his height. You know, he's you know because he's a pretty tall guy who, who can bid pretty well. But if you have a tackle that has to get his hands on you, that's great. Like again, if he gets his hands on you, you're done. But again, if you're playing Von Miller, you have to get your hands on him first. It's it's already hard enough to get your hands on a guy like that, or a Justin Houston, or a Khalil Mack. Even like getting your hands on that guy is a task. Like that's the first thing you have to do. And if you don't have the athletic ability to get your hands on that guy, it doesn't matter how good you are once your hands are on that guy. You know. But time after time, it just keeps coming up. In football, if you can. You know, if you can jam, if you can get a really good jam on Antonio Brown, if he's kind of small and not very strong, oh, good. Well, I'll go out there and jam it really well there. Why don't you go, go do that? Yeah. You should jam him on every play. Oh, wait. I, I couldn't jam him. Oh, wait. Oh, oh no. He's running at the sideline. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? um. I mean, we don't, every player has some sort of flaw. There's something... That there is to explain on every single player you can name. The issue yeah. is exploiting it. I mean, T.J. Watt has flaws. They all have flaws. You know, Eric Dunn. But can you exploit their flaws is the question. Pretty much. Can you exploit their flaws? And if, and if you have such a good thing, you know, athletic skill set, if you will, like if you have such a good athletic skill set that you can avoid that flaw or minimize that flaw, those are the ones that end up being successful NFL players. But if you can't minimize that, because, again, it just doesn't make sense. Like, you would not want a tackle who doesn't have the explosive lower body strength to match up with elite tackles, like, or at least elite athleticism edge rushers, you know. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> how hard it is to go out on a daily basis and face the Von Millers and Justin Houston's and even the Ziggy Ansons of the world, if you're yeah. a below average or poor athlete, like, it's like, you know, it's like being a fighter pilot who only had one day of flight school. And, you know what I mean? It's like a lot is being asked of you, and you don't have the proper armament. Pretty much. You know, and I don't know. It just amazes me that people don't, Especially offensive line, you know, and again, sure, you know, they played offensive linemen in the NFL. You know, a lot of these, you know, they played offensive linemen in the NFL. They definitely have a ton of knowledge about offensive line. But it's just one big flaw that they're missing, you know. 
like a blind spot. As I always say, like data oftentimes shows you blind spots in your evaluation on guys. You know, it shows you stuff you're not thinking about, you're not seeing. Um, and, uh, you know, I think in a case like Mike, this is what it is. Now, everybody else at Notre Dame, I mean, you know, Quentin Nelson, you know, keep there it up, Quentin Nelson, you know, um, pretty, pretty powerful guy uh, in terms of grip strength, probably. He, he doesn't have quite the same grip strength as Will Hernandez at, uh, at UTEP, but <laughs> it's pretty close. Yeah, well, Will Hernandez isn't a person, though. Will Hernandez is one of those things, like when your car breaks down and they bring out the little wreckers. That's what he is. He's a little wrecker. He's a little thing that comes out and drags vehicles around and things like he's like, Yeah, he's not, he's not even like a person, really. I, I love watching him. I don't know if he fits everywhere. Um, he, he doesn't have everything in terms of pass protection that you'd like to see, but my gosh, is he... Truly, he just splatters people in the run game. There's no way I can think of. He splatters them. Yeah. You know, and he just, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I may be overlooking some things. I'm definitely, I mean, you know, he's not the tallest guy and all that kind of stuff. But there's something, there's something about him, especially when you got an offensive lineman that has that type of, you know, that type of grip strength. You know, it's type of grip strength that, Keep stuff stuck to you for a while, you know what I'm saying? So, yes, you can le- legally, <laughs> legally holding as as some people might call it, yeah. Um, well, that's what it is nowadays. Yes, nowadays they have yeah. that. They didn't use that. It was a different world at one point where you couldn't quote unquote legally hold, but now that we are, now we are in that hands, world. Yeah, on the side. Yep, you can just go to town. Yep. Yeah, and and uh, once he's got you, you're you, you've been got. There's there's no more. There's yeah, he's fun to watch. He's really fun to watch. And um, Aaron Jones' brother is a really fun prospect. Did you, did you know the you know the term people use, and it's a fitting term, but the classic quote unquote run and chase will type is Alvin Jones. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would just, from last year, you know, he, he, I mean, to me, he looked like the most athletic defender, you know, that they had. He's really um, good athlete. I'll be yeah. shocked if he isn't, you know, if he's anything over 463, I'll be, or four, at the worst, I'll be surprised. I and mean, I think he's probably faster than that. Yeah. You know, but, um, yeah, but yeah, it's been an interesting, um, I don't know. It's been an interesting week, to say the least. Yes. Um, well, Florida scored more points in a quarter than I think they had in the first two the first game combined. Uh, I mean, they their offense, I wouldn't call it rhythmic or smooth because, well, it isn't, but you finally saw some explosion. And they have a couple of different Callaways, but I think people like the wrong Callaway. Oh yeah. Um you mean uh not Antonio Callaway, but um No, the the good Callaway, the one that the one that people weren't talking about, the other one. That's the one I like. They kept telling me trying to get me excited about the other Callaway who I who won seems oh. to be a consistent character issue. 
And right. two, doesn't even seem to be as athletic as this, you know, quote unquote other Callaway that I like. Oh, you're talking about Marquise Callaway. Yeah, that's that's the one. The one, and, and of course, I mean, there's already a meme, I guess, from that first game where there's a young lady who literally, I think, is mouthing "I love you." <laughs> well, I don't know if you see it, but um, <laughs> but there's a meme that says, "Find you somebody that looks at you the way that this Florida fan looks at it." At Marquise Callaway, <laughs> but. Uh, but yes, yes. Give me Marquez Callaway, and this Tyree Cleveland is, you know, clearly not there in all aspects of a receiver, but he clearly has some some juice. Now they just need to be able to consistently utilize these weapons that they seem to finally realize that they have. And once again, I'm not glad that whatever's been preventing the other Callaway from playing has been preventing him. I don't know if it's I think he might be suspended again. I can't remember now, but but it's it's clear to me that if indeed they work on developing the the other Callaway Martez and um, Tyree Cleveland, they'll at least have some some deep threats. Now they need to find you know somebody who's going to be their Edelman or their Jordan Reed or whatever. Somebody's going to work the middle and you know, get back to being something of a running team so the play action will work. But if they can do all those things, they'll start scoring points at Florida. Yeah. Well, they got a weird, you know, they have like a running, you know, again, a running back by committee sort of yep. thing. Um, and they have all these backs. And it's like pick your pick your poison back, you know, at what every year in Florida they have like three different backs and none of them are really – you know, they don't really do – I mean, they do certain things well. They don't do everything well. And then there's, like, one back that everybody, like, gravitates to. Like, oh, yeah, that's my back. You know, like, oh, Mark Thompson. Yeah, that's that's my type of back right there, you know, type of thing. And right. I'm just kind of like, you know, they're okay, but, like, I'm not – you know, like, there's other backs, you know, like – you don't have to make this guy a top 20 back, you know, you could make him a top 50 and you'd be okay, you know, like in terms of what ranking yeah, anymore. You don't do top 10 or top 20 backs anymore. Fred Taylor and David Smith aren't walking through that door, son. Uh, oh, they don't believe in that. They believe in that. No, they're not, you know. Um, yeah, just mentioning those guys just, you know, makes you go, wow. You know, we've hit a low point in terms of Florida. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, you know, they had a big, I mean, it, yeah, I honestly don't feel bad because I picked Tennessee to beat Florida. Eh. But, um, I just don't, I didn't trust Florida's offense at all. I thought their defense would play well, but I thought at some point, especially when I saw this side to go to Felipe Franks, I thought he'd make the big mistake at some point and they would lose, you know, 10 to 9 or something. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm wrong. Uh, he came up big, he was coming up small. And they finally made an explosive play for the first time. Uh, well, not like, I mean, probably maybe when last time I saw a big explosive play for Florida. It's been several games. Uh, I, 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 I'm trying to think of the last one I've seen before. I mean, obviously, you don't make me 66-yard passing plays. That's, nobody does that. That's not something you commonly do. I mean, but it's, it's something that particularly Florida hadn't done. I mean, they forget 66. You know, 16-yard passing plays have been something of a struggle for them 
most of this year, come to think of it. Oh, yeah. And then apparently there's already some casualties to uh, to Lamar Jackson and, you know, the Clemson Louisville matchup. I don't know. I mean, what do you what do you feel about that Clemson uh, defensive line? Because I mean, sure they got Christian Wilkins and you know Des Lawrence is is pretty dang good. Austin uh, Bryant kind of yeah, the greatest collegiate you know lines of all. And sometimes people forgot about Miami altogether, or that Oklahoma in the seventies existed, or you know I mean there's there's been a lot of really great there's a lot of really great minds in the history of college football. They're not up there yet. I'm not going to oh. compare them to... Oh, I mean, not... you, even the Jared Crick, um, Kinsue, and one other guy who looked at a cup of yeah, coffee yeah. in the NFL, uh, whose name I can't remember, but I don't know if they're even there yet. I'm not ready to anoint them. I'm putting away the anointing oils. Oh, I'm not, I'm not even going there. I'm just, you know, as you know, I don't like, oh, this is the greatest defensive line, you know, 20 years. I'm not that type of guy. Um, but, you know, I, I'm just saying, you know, they're they you know they they're cool. You know, they do some um, interesting, uh, you know, because like Austin Bryant, he had, it's funny, he had four sacks against Auburn. I counted them. One of them was a coverage sack. Another one of the sacks was a sack where uh, the quarterback was running out of bounds and he kind of tagged him out. Right. They apparently yeah. count that as a sack. <laughs> if you make contact with a guy and he's going out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage, that is exact. I don't know about that, man. He's already running out of bounds, Phil, so I'm just just saying it's a suspect. Yes, it's not a very loyal a free sack. Yes. So whoever can get there, that's why you have to get to those guys quick. So you can get yeah. a free sack. That's what it is. Yeah. And, you know, and I do – you know, and I'm not saying anything bad. I think Austin Bryant, I'm not going to say he's a big riser, because that's the only issue I'm having with both their passwords is, like, Austin Bryant, I think, is he's solid. He's not exactly amazing, because um, I know there's been a lot of, oh, four sacks against Auburn, amazing, you know, but well, actually Washington's pretty good. Not not his best, I guess. Like, he's good, but he's not, like, just, like, oh, my gosh, four sack kind of, you know. Like, I was expecting to see something different, you know. Um, and then, but I don't – Outside of outside of I mean Wilkins is a guy that has a lot of potential, obviously. I don't quite see some of the things other people see. I right. think he's got a little further to go than others seem to think he has to become what he might become because he's not I don't know, I'm like I said, I'm not seeing all the stuff that other people are seeing in him. Right. Is it right. possible? Is it possibly there? Of course it's possible. I'm just saying I'm not I don't like to just sort of get a tiny little sample of what a guy does as a freshman or even as a sophomore, and then extrapolate forward that, oh, in a year or two years, it's going to be this, because I like him and I'm excited about watching how well he plays. Um, look at that team. Here's what stand out to me. I bet all those guys have above-average flexibility testing. Every single one of those guys I've seen on their D-line Seems to be a guy that can really move laterally, forward, back, and twist and bend fairly well for big dudes. Like every single one of those dudes 
I hate to bring up the whole celebration dance together one, but, but I mean, it's sort of funny. When you see defensive linemen move a certain way, I mean, they, they're not a stiff bunch of dudes, Jim. That's the one thing I could, I could, I could pretty yeah. much promise. They're going to they're gonna do well, I think, in terms of that portion of the testing. I think they may be less powerful than people think they are, though. Yeah, they really are. I mean, based on, like, what I remember from, like, Kevin Dodd's testing and Shaq Lawson's testing, um, they they were more speed, flexibility guys than uh, than vertical broad jump heavy, you know, in terms of explosive there's, body there's like, I don't see any Dominican Sue, Aaron Donald types in terms of power. No, athletes. I mean, those are elite, you know, you t- those are, like, elite explosion um Athletes, which I actually was going to do a thing on, because um, it's di- it's different types of muscles. Because uh, a lot, you know, all every single combine bill, as you know, every combine they're like, well, if they have a fast forty, then they'll have a good vertical. When the vertical and the broad jump are working completely different muscles than what muscles work doing the forty yard dash, like in terms of like what for most of the studies that. See guys like Shady and guys like Dalvin Cook and other guys who have good, sometimes even really good 40s, and then they'll bust out a 29 and a half inch vert. Dude, I was a average athlete, but I had 34 inch vertical. I've got yeah. a big, big butt and big size and big calves. I've got the classic drivetrain build. I'm not very big. I'm not very big from the waist up and never have been. But people were always shocked by how hard I hit them. Because they were looking at the wrong part of me. I didn't have a big chest Pretty or big much. arms, but I had a, I had a build like a BMX bike racer. You know what I mean? Like a lot of yeah, a yeah. lot of coming from from the ankles to the to the hips was where two thirds of my body weight was probably hanging out. Exactly, but like I mean, from from the test, like basically from the testing. You know, a lot of people, because I, I heard a lot of people, and I've even talked to some guys, they're like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, doing the squat to, to increase my vertical. When the squat mostly, unless you're doing it the wrong way, the squat mostly works quadriceps. And the quadriceps only really make up about 25, in terms of muscle activation, when it comes to the vertical and the, and the broad, the, the quadriceps only make up about 25% of that actual like what causes the vertical to happen is not your quadriceps. It's your ankle strength and yeah, your hip strength. Don't calf raise, dude. Ask anybody who plays volleyball. <laughs> yeah. So really it's your calves and it's your hips. You know, specifically, you know, your glutes and your inner, you know, it's why when you see, you know, James Harrison, yeah, have you seen some of the crazy things James Harrison has been doing on his, uh, um, as Instagram, yeah. he's he's just yeah. doing these crazy, you know, ridiculous, like you know, putting a ton of weight on top of it, you know, on top like putting the whole like a giant weighted bar on top of his hips and just thrusting as many times as he can, you know, because it's a little unorthodox, but you know, you get the point. He's trying to, you know, work those those uh, hip muscles, you know, and but that's the thing is like these drills, like just because you have. It's like anything else. Just because you, you, you know, the, the 40 realistically is working, you know, your quadriceps mostly in terms of speed, you know, on top of balance and other sort of things. So, sure, if you want to get faster in the 40, 
getting better in terms of quadriceps helps, but it's not going to help you much when it comes to rope on the broad jump. And it just kind of further illustrates, I guess the point I'm just trying to end with is, you know, that's why there's different types of athletes because they have different, you know, some muscle parts that develop more than others. You might have some freak guys like Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt where everything is super developed, you know, but that's what you some want. Guys you may, want those guys. <laughs> yeah, you, you want those guys. You do. You want those guys. But then again, you might have guys like you, Bill, you know, that, you know, do do really well in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of uh, vertical on the broad jump, but don't do really well in terms of the 40, you know, because, you know, hey, slow people are people too, right? You know, so, yes. Um, yes, they are. You know, just ask Joey both for that. But, yeah, I mean, I think the all do – and that was another funny thing too is uh, the the other pass rusher there, Cleveland uh, uh, Farrell – Who's a you know redshirt sophomore? Um, I was I was he, actually giving him he was dropping he was dropping down into the splits fame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he but he's pretty he's pretty dang good as well. It, it, pretty smart as like that was the other thing I was just gonna add. Like he he made a lot of heads up plays. At least the last game I saw him in against the Auburn, um, made a ton of like really good awareness plays. Um, but uh, but he's pretty good. And then I get funny, Bill. I get all these people are like, "Well, you can't bend." And then I'm like, "Okay, you got you guys are the same people that said Jordan Willis can't yes. bend." Like, like it's about I had to tell me that Jordan Willis was stiff and unathletic, but he was one of the best athletes in the whole damned draft. Pretty much. I mean, you're telling me that Charles Harris can bend, and then he couldn't bend in the testing, and then he told me that Tim Williams can bend, and then he didn't bend very well in the testing. I mean, which is it, guys? Like, are you looking for guys that can bend, or are you looking for guys that are explosive? Again, it's two different things. No, it's two different speeds. And you don't have to win every kind of way that you can win. You only need to win one way. I mean, it's what you keep pointing out with running backs and wide receivers. A guy doesn't have to be elite. It's cool if you're a god prospect, if you're Calvin Johnson, if you're O.J. Simpson, and your testing is ridiculous in every aspect, that's great. If, if you're T.J. If you're, if you're J.J. Watt or you're uh, uh, Aaron Donald, uh, you know. Aaron Donald was definitely like that. Yes, where every, was, everything was gasp. Everything he did just made you go... <gasps> <laughs> just jaw-dropping. Your jaw just kept going lower and lower and lower every time you tested it something else. Oh, wait. Dude, this guy's testing like a fullback. I mean, not even like a fullback, but like an elite athlete H-back. He's testing like like, uh, like, uh, like almost like Chelsea or something. I mean, it was crazy what yeah. he was doing. <laughs> yeah, or Jimmy Graham, you know, in terms of you know, or Travis Kelsey, even you know that type of guy. Yeah, he was he was having one of the best days at the office in the history of the combine, basically that I that that I can ever remember seeing somebody do. And I've been you know doing this for a while, but yes, um, just crazy stuff, man. He's a crazy athlete, crazy athlete. I mean. Rare. And once again, you can't just say, oh, well, this guy's the next. There won't be another one of them for a long while. Not this draft, not next year, not the year after that. That's the other thing. Please don't 
you cheapen analysis when you say this guy is this year's Aaron Donald or the next Aaron Donald. This year's this year's J.J. Watt or the next J.J. Stop comparing people to J.J. Watt for, if not forever, I won't go that far, but for until someone actually deserves it. Is that level of productive, that level of athletic, that kind of dominant God-type prospect? Yeah. You know, literally checks all the boxes. You know. But the problem is, is how can you check all the boxes when you don't even know what boxes need to be checked, right? You know, because that's the other factor, I guess, you know. Because right. <laughs> I'm just saying, they're like, oh, they checked all the boxes. Well, what boxes need to be checked? Like, what boxes did this guy check? What boxes did that, you know, that guy check? So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, but yeah, I mean, Clemson's D-line, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say they're, you know, the greatest defensive line ever, but I just think, you know, they got a lot of cool guys on that line, you know, they got a oh. lot of... Oh, yeah, oh, I'm with you there. Cool, cool uh, you know, cool players, which is yes. fun. In, t- in terms of the whole line, I mean, it's not like, you know, I guess what I'm just trying to say is they don't have a ton of, like, weak, weak links, you know, in terms of that D-line. Like, most of those guys are pretty pretty good. Yeah. And obviously this is the return of Arden Key, and a lot of people have him as the number one overall prospect. Now, don't get me wrong. I like Arden Key, too. And I think he's going to be a really good pro. I don't think he's the best player in this whole entire draft, though. I think that's going too far. Well, he hasn't produced like that type of player. Not know? yet. Not yet, anyway. You know, Not which, yet either. Which is something that people don't get. You know, like, when Jadavion Clowney was going into that year, he already, like, he already did everything he needed to do in terms of, like, he could have done a little bit more, but, like, you know, he already did everything he needed to do to be considered an elite you know, potentially elite prospect. Same thing with Joey Bosa. Same thing with Miles Garrett. Like, they really didn't even have to show up for that yet. Not not to say that they shouldn't have shown <laughs> up. I'm just saying that as a data guy, I, if they had not shown up that year, I definitely would have raised concerns about a guy taking a complete year off of football because, you know, that's... Well, that's and once crazy, again, you know... Right, and once again, there's no demonstrated history of success of guys doing this. No, I mean, because, you might count guys like Gronkowski. There's occasionally when injury happens, but um, but for the most part, you want guys who who played for obvious reasons. That's what you want. Yeah, you want that. You don't, you don't want a guy who hasn't played football. Yeah, especially <laughs> but, for conditioning, but, because you know you you have to get your body, you know, like. It's like, you know, in conditioning for football specifically, you know, you have to get your body into a state where it can take hits, you know, and recover from those hits, you know, consistently. And if you, if you take a year off, you don't play football, you don't do anything for a year, you know, then your body's just not, it's going to go into shock once they get, you know, if you go from not playing football at all for a year to going to play football, your body's going to be in a shock, you know, regardless. And that shock could be enough to put you in a hospital. You know, so, but yeah, I mean, that's the only other sort of stuff I worry about, especially when it comes to football players who like, they haven't had that Mike Williams moment yet, you know, in terms of, you know, Mike Williams at USC kind of moment. That that hasn't really happened yet, but 
slowly but surely there might be some guy that does it. You know, he takes a complete year off because of, you know, oh, they say I'm a top five pick, so I'm just not going to do anything, you know. Okay. Um, who, okay, I'm not going to ask you who your number one player is yet, because one, I don't really have a number one at the moment, so it would be fair to ask that. But if you were looking at the 10 guys you feel the best about thus far, and in no particular order, who are the guys that at least pop to mind that you think, okay, I think these guys are legitimate top 10 type pro prospects? Okay. Um, it's weird, but I, I, I got Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame. Okay. A guard. I know I'm weird in that way, but it is early. But uh, Michael Gallup at uh, Colorado State. Uh, okay. Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Okay, there's the one that people will agree with. Okay, keep going. Yeah, they like that. Again, I'm not, you know, I'm not, like, pulling in my Rolodex, but these are the players I saw this year. You know, right. Oh, I, I, I understand that. I'm not. I'm not trying to set you up. I'm just, right. saying, I just saying. I'm just saying. You kind of set me up. Here. You're like, well, why didn't you have this guy? Why didn't you have that guy? Yeah, like that guy. No, no, no. Um, that, you know, not, that's not what I'm doing. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you know, Barkley, uh, Cleveland Farrell actually have as a three-four outside linebacker type. Um, oh. Okay. Because he actually showed enough to play that position, at least in the Aubrey game. He was able to kind of cover the flat a little bit more than I thought. Um, and, uh, you know, has a – doesn't have a ton of he, – again, he's as a passer, he's a work in progress. But from what I saw, he looks pretty decent. Uh, Mark Andrews at Oklahoma, uh, tight end, looked kind of fun. He might get the Jason Morrow treatment, though. Let me all say. Because – He's being used a lot like Mr. You know, not really lining up in line that much and you know, stuff like stuff like that. But uh but yeah, he's he's definitely there. Uh Denzel Ward at Ohio State, the cornerback from Ohio State, another guy. A ton of the a lot of these guys in my top ten are kinda of raw. That's that's the way they all say. <laughs> like they're not fully, you know, stuff. But yeah, I like him. Um and as far as, like, finishing, I guess with quarterbacks, I'd have Sam Darnold in there. And then the other uh, quarterback would be Baker Mayfield. So I guess that would be my final answer for for those types of guys. Oh, hello. Oh, hello.
Jim? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and then sort of outside of that, quote, quote, top ten, who are some other guys that maybe they aren't there yet, but they could get there if they continue to, once again, you know, everything's fluid, but who are the guys that you have sort of right. earmarks to watch to see if they might make it there? Right. Um, well, L.J. Scott at Michigan State, a running back, he's kind of a um, fun player. Uh, Raymond Richards at safety at Oklahoma State. David Bright at Stanford. Anthony uh, Winbush. He's probably the most athletic edge rusher I've seen this year. I'll say that much. Um, Calvin Ridley is definitely in that mix. Nick Chubb, Darius Geis, John Kelly at Tennessee. Dermot Jones at Ohio State. He's, he's pretty fun to watch. And um, maybe Tavares McFadden. I think I might add him to the list, too. Oh, uh, Bill?
One more question, Jim, just about individual prospects before we go back to talking about teams. This People have been talking a lot about this year's running back class. Obviously, there's a lot of attention paid to last year's running back class. And not that you can compare the two yet because, well, we're only three weeks into the season. But what do you think are the similarities and the differences between this year's and last year's quarterback classes? You mean the, the running back class or the quarterback class? Running back class first. Okay. Uh, the running back class, I think the dif- the difference between um, this this year and last year, uh, you know, just kind of thinking about the last year's class, I think this year has a little bit less polish overall than, than some of the guys that are there. And I'll, I only mean that by – um, there's certain guys that are kind of working, you know, Saquon Barkley is definitely super talented, but uh, not the best in, in terms of pass protection, still kind of a work in progress there. Uh, Darius Geis is also kind of uh, a work in progress as well when it comes to uh, some uh, some of his game, uh, you know, and, and there's definitely a lot of like, I kind of like the running back to this class a little bit more been the running backs last year and I know that gets said every year but I do I, I don't know I'm just a little bit more wowed this year for whatever reason um, I'm not sure why that is yet but I do think that there's uh, there's a lot of uh, um, there's a lot of continuity as well because there was a lot of running backs uh, that came back like Nick Chubb and Sonny Michael that kind of add to this class as well uh, in terms of depth and stuff like that. So I'm not saying that this is going to be better running back class than last year because last year's class was pretty good. But I do think that there's a lot of um, a lot of guys with, with more potential to be truly elite, elite type guys. Like I think Barkley, after watching him this year and going back to all the running backs in last year, I think he has a little bit better chance of becoming like a like a super elite type versus some of the guys like I think Dalvin Cook is definitely going to have a good career and Christian McCaffrey is going to be good and Leonard Fournette's going to you know I mean I think all those guys are going to have pretty decent careers I just think that in this class there's some potential for like a super rare type prospect like a guy like Barkley and stuff like that okay and actually I'm going to ask you we, we talked a little bit about some classes here's a class we don't talk much about linebackers um, I think there's some there are some good linebackers in this class. I don't know about great. I don't know if great linebackers. I'm not saying they exist anymore. I mean that would be an exaggeration, but that that, I don't, that would be far from the truth, though. <laughs> I mean, I've as you know, Bill. Last year I watched about a hundred. I'm 112 linebackers last year. Pursuit linebackers specifically, not pat, you know, pass rush linebackers. Um, right. I know and and I didn't like it. I mean, I liked them. I didn't love them. You know, like I wasn't seeing Patrick Willis. I wasn't seeing Ray Lewis. I wasn't seeing Luke Keekley. You know, and I when I say I didn't see him, I went back and saw Ray Lewis in college. I went back and saw Brian Urlacher in college, and saw because I feel like you need to look and see what these elite players look like in college. That way you have something to compare them to, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, when I going, you know, looking at the linebackers in this class, 
the biggest thing that just keeps coming up consistently is, you know, a lack of size, uh, a lack of power. Uh, they definitely have speed, but they're not high, high slope like you. Like, I've definitely seen some pretty – I've definitely seen some pretty smart linebackers, but I've also seen a lot of linebackers that just play very robotic, uh, very, uh, you know, just not – thinking and, and analyzing stuff as, as fast as they need to, especially for some of the limitations that they have. Um, so I think that's my biggest issue with the linebackers is they've gotten smaller and based on data, they have gotten smaller. You know? um, and they've also gotten less powerful and they've kind of gotten faster, but does it really, as I already told you, Bill, like you, you lose power to gain speed but then you lose the ability to tackle in space because you, you got rid of that power, you know? So what's speed worth anything if you don't have the power to bring a guy down with, you know, with that speed. So, um, but yeah, I, it's just odd, but yeah, so far, all the, all the linebackers I saw, I've seen, um, at least this year in particular, I mean, I've seen some that I, you know, that I like, I mean, uh, uh, guys like, uh, Chris Worley at, at Ohio State, I think, is, is looked okay. He's not amazing, though. I mean, that's like the the thing I can really say is I've seen a lot of linebackers that I like. I just haven't seen any linebackers that I would consider elite. Um, and even a guy like Malik Jefferson, who is definitely a really great athlete, just hasn't been able to take the mental side of the game and marry it with his athletic ability. That just hasn't happened yet. And that's kind of my biggest worry with this class. And last year's class as well. Right. And I'm going to agree with you on a lot of those things. I'm not, I'm not obviously I'm not gonna, I'm not seeing Dick Buckus and Tommy Nobis, and we may not see those guys again for a very long time because the game is because of where the game is played and all that good stuff. And <clears throat> as you mentioned, Patrick Willis is rare. Ray Lewis is rare. Heck, Mike Singletary is rare. You don't see those guys very often. I'm worrying. I'm not seeing Zach Thomas. I mean, I'm not even seeing that guy. You know, like the guy who's you know average athlete whose instincts allow him to be, you know, truly great, even though he might only you know measure somewhat unimpressively in some areas physically. I'm not seeing uh, you know Navarro Bowman. I'm not seeing. I mean, I'm not seeing. Um, uh, Thomas Davis. I mean, there's a lot of no. linebackers. I'm seeing. <laughs> you know, those. It's hard to find truly top linebackers. It. So, I mean, who aren't as you said, some of the pass rusher types. But it's getting hard to me. That's the position is getting scarcer and scarcer. It's really hard to find those. I mean, I'm not expecting to find Lawrence Taylor every year. I'm not expecting to find. Like I said, at Ray Lewis every year, but give me, give me Navarro Bowman on a real, you know, give me yeah. James Ferrier. You know, give me that guy. Yeah, even James Ferrier, you know. Well, actually, based on the the testing, I wasn't that bad of athlete, but um, when he was coming out, but and also was super productive as well um, in terms of solo tackle data and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I'm just. The thing is, is I'm not saying that you have to be this, you have to be that. But again, elite linebackers, and I can say this because I've, pre- 
I don't, you know, you're talking, I'm not going to say I'm the premier stu- guy who studies, you know, pursues linebackers, but I do have data going all the way back to 1989. And the one constant with elite linebackers has been really high solo tackle data, really great athleticism traits. And what keeps happening consistently is we'll have guys that have really high solo tackle data but are not the best athletes. Or we'll have guys that are super crazy athletic but don't have the solo tackle production to match it. Um, and it's why we get into these – every year it's, it's been a constant thing with me in these draft battles where, you know, well, he's not athletic and he's not this, he's not that. And I go, fine, but there hasn't been a linebacker in the data who was a super-duper athlete who went on to become elite and didn't have really great solo tackle data, you know. Because I think solo tackle data tells you a lot about a player. It tells you their in, it, it tells you a lot about their instincts. It tells you a lot about their ability to read and react to things faster than everybody else, so they can get to the plays faster than everybody else. And when you have linebackers that aren't doing that, and then you just blame it on the scheme. Well, it's a scheme they're in. It's a scheme, I tell you. You know, it's a scheme. The scheme they're told to do this, but not do that. That's why they're not doing that. And I'm like. So it's just going to turn it on in the NFL level. They're just going to, they were told not to do that. So now when they get to the NFL, they're going to turn it, you know, turn something on that they didn't turn on, you know, at college football. And it just, I don't know, it just bugs me, man. Because I've seen a ton of these. But there's no you know, team where they tell guys not to tackle the ball carrier. That pretty much. They tell you not to tackle the and, <laughs> and besides that, if if you are, if you're a football player, if you're a linebacker who has an extremely high football IQ and when you when the play gets called, you know exactly what this play is, you know exactly where the play is going, and you make the play consistently, I don't care what coach you are. If you have a guy like that on your team that is consistently, you know, like nine times out of ten, 99% of the time he's getting every play right and making the play on that play, Forget the scheme. Just do what you're doing, you know. Keep doing that, you know. Like, I understand I coached you to do this and we want you to do this, but, you know, you, you know, like if you're at that level, you know, in terms of that elite level, because that's the biggest thing about these pursuit linebacker types. They're elite when it comes to recognition. They're elite when it comes to these things. It's why, you know, when I saw a guy like Eric Kendricks and then I saw a guy like Miles Jack, you could see a considerable difference. It's not to say that Eric Kendricks, is going to be, you know, an elite linebacker at the NFL level. It's just that Eric Kendricks knows what's going on a lot better than Miles Jack knew what was going on at UCLA, you know. And I just haven't seen that with a lot of these guys. And a lot of the guys that are being hyped up, like Jerome Baker, I mean, I saw – I ain't going to lie, but when I saw Jerome Baker, I thought I was watching Mike Tyson from Cincinnati, Bill. Like, no lie. Like, I I thought I was watching a a safety – you know, playing. Well, you kind, uh, well, you kind of were, Jim. <laughs> I know. I know I was, but I was just amazed because I was thinking Jerome Baker, and then people, I think even one guy was like, oh, yeah, he's going to be Ryan Chazier. And I even remember watching Ryan Chazier, and I had problems with no. Ryan Chazier like everybody else. No. no. But Ryan Chazier was like 227 by his sophomore year. I don't think yeah. Baker's seen 227 pounds in his life. Exactly. You know, but it's not just him. Like, there's a, um, a Tremaine, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, right, at Virginia Tech. You know, um, he's, he's an athletic guy. You know, he's athletic. But 
at the same time, he's still they're just he's a little slow to react to things. It's, it's a lot like the similar issues I had with uh, the linebacker from Florida last year. You know, that, that was drafted by the, the Lions. Yeah, Jared Davis. You know, there was a play against UMass where he allowed a touchdown because he just was confused. Like he looked, he literally looked confused. Like he did not know what was happening. And then, you know, unfortunately couldn't get there in time and then touchdown, you know. Um, you just can't have that. And, and he's a super athletic guy. Because again, it doesn't matter how athletic you are. If you don't have the football instinct, if you don't have that ability to read things, react to things accurately and have confidence in what you're saying and reacting to it, then you, know, you, you don't have that, anything. You would think just watch the tape Twitter would embrace that. That here you are, a quote-unquote numbers guy, saying that a lack of instincts cannot be overcome simply by being a great athlete, which we've seen demonstrated thousands over and of over times. and over could, again. Thousands of times. A million I could, times. I could easily name a very long list of tremendously athletic players at literally every position who have not panned out because, once again, you know, processing speed or whatever you want to call it, recognition, awareness, whatever, how you look, football IQ, whatever you like to use as your indicator of how quickly a guy knows what's happening and can then react to that thing that is happening. Whatever term you like to use, guys who don't have that don't succeed, no matter how athletic they are. They don't. And solo tackle data at every position, to me, to me solo tackle data at every position proves that. The best nose tackles, Bill, you know what they do really well in? Solo tackle data. The best defensive tackles, you know what they do well in? Solo tackle. You know, the best linebackers, solo tackle. The best cornerbacks, for the most part, solo tackle. You know, the best safeties, especially. If you're talking strong safety, Troy Palomalo, uh, you know, the Bob Sanders. Liam Chancellor. Right, Cam Chancellor. All those guys, you know what they did really well in? Why? Why? Because they know where the ball's going, so they have a better chance of tackling. You know, sure, you have to have a willingness to tackle, but if you don't know where the ball's going, you're going to be making a lot of tackles. Just to be honest, you know. And it ain't no like, well, the scheme is funneling guys to them. I mean, come on, nobody's done with Luke. I mean, Luke Keekley still. Luke Keekley was a guy at twenty percent solo tackle market share bill. Twenty percent. <laughs> <laughs> we're still we're, we, and, and people are running same similar schemes to what Boston College did, you know, and yeah. they still ain't got guys getting twenty percent. Nope. There's a reason you know? that the elite players reach the elite numbers, right? It's it's if it were if all it took were scheme, then below average players could do it too. But they don't. Or average you players know, could do it. Or average players could do it, but they don't, and we, it, it's just. I don't know, and and that's the only issue I have with this class. Is I, I do like a bunch. I mean, there's guys like you know, you know Jonathan um, Celestin at Minnesota. I mean, he's a guy who definitely popped a little bit. Uh, Curtis Atkins at Memphis, and you know all these other types of guys, but they just don't have that. You know, I mean, the best instinctive linebackers. Just going back, you know, like as far back as like as I could think. Um, like the last, the last most extensive guy was, you know, Eric Kendrick. In terms of linebackers that I saw during the draft that, you know, really showed a really high level of knowing what was going on and putting themselves in the best position to make play. Since Eric Kendrick's 
left. I just haven't seen linebackers that are like that. Same thing I had with Ruben Foster, same thing I had with all these other guys. And I'm not saying that these guys aren't well coached and that and I think there's kind of an over emphasis on scheme and scouting as well because you know, they go, well, this is the scheme, and, you know, they did everything they needed to do in the scheme, so A-plus, right? You know, like people take that approach. And I'm not denying that, again, schemes are set up to do a certain thing, and you're coached to do a certain thing in a scheme. I'm just saying that it doesn't matter what player you are. Eventually, the play breaks down, to, you know, like the play gets extended, and you have to go beyond that scheme. And I'm just not quite seeing it um, with the linebackers. Um, and it really has even nothing to do with size. I mean, you know, if, if it's a 220-pound linebacker who is getting to the play consistently and making tackles on the play, fine, you know. I'm okay with that, but I'm not even seeing that. So it's, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of a sad state of affairs, I guess, is all I'm trying to say. I'm just kind of waiting. Um, and I've gotten a ton of these battles, man. It's like when that Ohio State linebacker um, – um, I forgot his name, but the Jets drafted, you know, the Jets drafted the Ohio State linebacker. Um, okay, I'm thinking of Ohio State linebackers. Uh, uh, hold on. I'm trying to think who you could Darren mean. Lee, yeah, Darren Lee. That, oh, that another, mini, another mini backer. Yes, correct. Okay, right, of course. Well, this is, this is the thing about him was, you know, and I got to, like, invite us to all these different things, and they're like, you know, do your data for this guy. And and it, they were, like, picking top ten in this mock, you know, because it was like a mock, uh, you know, type of thing they were doing. They are picking top ten, and they're like, should we consider Darren Lee? Well, let's take – let our data expert say it. And I'm like, if you take Darren Lee top ten, then I don't – this is not – this is not, you know – like, I, I didn't say this is not good, but I'm just like, he's – he has zero chance of becoming a Pro Bowl player. He has zero percent chance of becoming an all-pro player based on his production. Know, well, he's a really great athlete, though, right? And, you know, they want to be talking about his athlete. Yeah, he's a really great athlete, but, you know, this is not something you take top ten. This is not a first-rounder. Like, this is just a super athletic guy that just doesn't have that higher-level, you know, instinct. You know, and sure, is that an NFL player? Yeah, there's tons of those guys. There's millions of those guys. There's always going to be guys like that. But that's not somebody that you can coach up or train or fit in your scheme and become this elite player. Like, it's just not – it's like, what are your expectations, I guess, is all I'm trying to say. And I think that's where we run, run into the most problems is when we make our expectations way higher than they need to be for some of these guys, you know. Because right. being a great athlete is not what made Brian – or I mean, sure, being a great athlete made Brian or like a Brian or like that's part of what made him that. But what also made him that was this crazy – production you know um, yep. same thing with all these other crazy guys. crazy and and once again this is back to my miles miles jack whatever you think he he was a tremendous coverage player for those who want to say well miles jack didn't do such stuff because they used him so much in coverage well erlacher was playing lobo backer which means he's you know the, once again a hybrid player he played he played all over the place is <laughs> right when he played he he played uh, you know some short yardage offense as a tight end. He played sometimes very close to the last scrimmage, sometimes very far away from the last scrimmage. He played you know like a conventional linebacker at times, um, but not very often, quite frankly. More often than not, he was something other than that. And here's the last thing I'll say, and I, I know we we we've gotten off of Lamar Jackson, but I'll go back for a second. 
if you've seen Lamar Jackson play, whatever his build may say to you, watch him play, and he doesn't lack for strength. I bet pound for pound, he's one of the strongest players on his team. I mean, oh yeah, he he, he doesn't, you know. So yeah, he's throwing twelve or eleven or whatever pounds, and some people won't like that, <laughs> you know. And, and I get that. And he, some people don't think he's legitimately six foot three, which he probably is. He's probably six two and a quarter or whatever it is, or six foot yeah. two and three eighths, which would make him the exact same height. Right, we taller than the maker. He has that. He has that. though. Right. But here's what I'm saying. Six two and three eighths is exactly the same height as, oh, say, Aaron Rodgers. And guess what Aaron Rodgers weighed when he was 20 years old? Yeah, 211 pounds. Probably not a lot. So, you know. No, he was not. He was not very big. Especially, especially I, at Berkeley, you know, eating all those kale salads and stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah. So it was obvious. I mean, whatever it is, you don't have to like. I mean, there's things. There's things to dislike. Uh, legitimately about Lamar Jackson, and there's things to like legitimately about Lamar Jackson. But the whole him not looking like a quarterback thing, yeah, as you said, it comes down to well, that's your individual prejudices. Uh, okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But getting back to uh, well, it's your individual bias again. It's it it, do, it doesn't even have to do with race. I mean, you could be, I mean, you could be just a person who looks at quarterbacks objectively and goes, okay, the quarterbacks look like this, so let's go find all the guys that look like this. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, I'm not – they're not looking at these guys and going, oh, they're, they're, you know, they're black, so that means that they can't be a quarterback. I mean, some of them are. I mean, you know, they they don't want to admit it. But there are definitely sort of the thing of, well, all the successful ones. The same thing with white quarterbacks, right? If you're a short – like, say you're six foot and you're 200 pounds and you're a white quarterback, you don't fit that model either, you know. You're not yeah, six foot five. Right. You're not two hundred and thirty right. pounds. Right. You know? right. And a lot of people dislike Baker Mayfield and talk about, well, if you're making, you know, X number of plays outside the pocket, then you're not going to have success in the NFL level. You know, there's some yeah. people who see Stephon LaFours or see um, Zach Caleros instead of seeing. Uh, well, I mean, like I said, obviously he's Chase McDaniel. Chase, not Chase McDaniel. I keep saying McDaniel. Chase um, uh, Daniel with the with like the Rally Sport package, like a more fun, more athletic version of Chase Daniel. But in the right offense, Chase Daniel would be a pretty good NFL starter in yeah. the right offense. Yeah, because now if you want to run certain kinds of offenses, he probably isn't going to be the right quarterback for you. Probably but not. Guess what? If you were, if you were running certain kinds of offenses, Tom Brady isn't the right quarterback. Uh, Tom Brady is a great quarterback, but to think that he would have had that same kind of success in every single situation is to ignore certain things. Would he be good in every situation? Probably, just because of how hard he works and how smart he is, and he's fiendishly focused on being exceptional. So he's going to not fail no matter where you put him. But it helps that he's been in – he's been surrounded by tremendous amount of coaching talent. Whatever. That, this is a Tom Brady thing. But getting back to – in fact, I didn't even mean to really get the quarterbacks so much. I was trying to avoid the quarterbacks. I wanted to talk more about defense, particularly DBs, linebackers, and, and the like, because these are the positions that I'm most worried about, quite frankly. I think defensive line is fine. I think 
people have figured out still how to find and develop defensive linemen for the most part. The things that worry me, where I am concerned about the future, is safeties and linebackers. I think corners are kind of okay. I mean, I think people sort of understand how to develop them and find them, you know, with some exceptions. But, but yeah, we just talked about linebackers, and now we can talk about safeties, and the line, of course, is being more and more blurred between the two of them. But take me through safeties, what allows safeties to be successful, and then what you look for and who are your – Maybe who are some top guys or guys that you like to point out so far this year? Well, you know, I hate to say I'm the guy that puts people in the boxes, but ideally, you know, there's there's two types of safeties, as you know. There's the free safety and the strong safety. The strong safety is the Uber, like the Adonis safety to me. You know, he's the guy that's 6'3", 220, 200, you know, 210, like he's that big, you know, the Cam Chancellor type, right? You know, he's that right. type of guy, at least to me. He's right. going to come down and... Scary almost. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, he's the enforcer, you know, like yeah. he's that type of dude. Um, he can pretty much do anything. He's he's so athletic, he can do, like he can do anything with him in terms of at the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, near the LOS, you can have them rush the passer, uh, which a lot of teams are doing now. Uh, you can do, you know, anything with him. Like, sky's the limit for him as an athlete. Very similar to, like, the Sam Linebacker position, at least what it – like, the legit Sam Linebacker in the 4-3, not the whatever it is now, which is kind of weird. But, you know, <laughs> like – You're talking about the guys that I grew up watching, like Bill Romanowski. Yeah, yeah. You know, those guys that many times the Sam Lowry is the most athletic linebacker in your group. You know, now it's like the Will Linebacker is the most athletic, you know, guy now. Right. Um, you know, right. So, but, yeah, I mean, uh, strong safety types are kind of like that. Free safety is, to me, he's your smartest DB out of all your DBs. You know, like he has to be. He is – it's in the name as he's a free safety. He has to be your best solo tackler. Like on your team, the best, the guy who can make the best solo tackles on your team better be your free safety, at least to me, especially amongst your DBs, because he's the last line of defense. Um, he needs to be the smartest guy, most intelligent guy. He doesn't need to be the most athletic, but he does need to be the smartest, you know, in terms of understanding angles, understanding how to get from point A to point B. Uh, in terms of uh, everything else, and also understanding, you know, where everybody's at and everything else like that. So that's how I differentiate. This year so far, I've not watched a ton of safeties. Um, I think I've seen about five so far this year, so I have some catching up to do. But the ones that I like, uh, I liked Raymond Foster at Oklahoma State as a strong safety type. Plays kind of the Jabril Peppers role which is kind of a new thing, um, but he's definitely a, a safety that I like. And, you know, and Derwin James definitely, um, you know, keeps doing what he's doing, though I think he still needs to recover a bit. Um, uh, you know, he just kind of looks a little bit off this year. But, um, right. but so far, those right. would be my guy. I mean, I, I like Raymond Foster a lot at Oklahoma State. I think he's a super very instinctive player, very smart player. Pretty decent tackler. Um, Derwin James, of course, Derwin James. But other than those guys, that's really, a, you know, 
Oh, yeah. Every other safety I've seen so far has been kind of, kind of um, you know, okay, but not, you know, amazing, I guess that's how you put it. Right. Gotcha. Okay. And now we can talk um, corners. Uh, who has made an impression on you? Who are the guys that you've liked so far at the cornerback position? Wow, corners. Well, you know, you know, Bill, there's an epidemic uh, in in college football. Well, there's there's multiple ones. There's the shuffle bail technique. Yeah. That one of the banes of my existence, as you already know, is annoying. And it's also when they teach the shuffle bail technique to corners that don't need to learn the shuffle bell technique. Now, the shuffle bell technique, if you want to go to the origins of it or the, you know, the secret origins of the shuffle bell, was originally, you know, created to deal with a corner that was up there in age and a little bit older, you know, and, and they needed to do something to kind of help him out. You know, that way his hips are already open. That way you can, you know, because he's not, he's not the same guy anymore. He's the old safety, you know, um, or old, old corner, really. Uh, but when you're teaching shuffle bell to guys who have really good hips, what I, I don't understand what you're trying to accomplish with with that. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because in many ways, I view that technique as a technique that you teach to a corner that doesn't really have the best hips, doesn't have the best feet. That you're kind of help them out a little bit. He's still going to give up stuff, but he's not going to be terrible. You know, 100. percent I mean, he can be at least with the intermediate sort of stuff. But I just don't understand the sort of drive to teach these guys uh, who have really good hips. And the guy I'm talking about is Denzel Ward at Hall State. He has good hips. He has good feet. He shouldn't be doing shuffle bell. No. That's, it's pointless to, to have a guy like him who has the type of athleticism that he has to do a technique which doesn't benefit him, actually hurts him to a certain extent yeah. because – it puts him out of position when he doesn't need to be out of position. He wouldn't be out of position if you weren't teaching him this technique, um, you know. And on top of that, more and more corners ain't getting their head turned around, Bill. You know, it's like, um, it's like the you know the original Batman movie, you know, nineteen eighty nine Batman. You know, he had he had the suit on, he couldn't turn his head. You know, like right, he, he just could. It was awkward. Because you could, because the way the suit was made, you couldn't really. You can move your shoulders, you know, but you can't turn your head, and that's what all these cornerbacks are like, man. They can't turn their head. They they can turn their shoulders, you know. They're, you know, trying to read body language of the wide receiver, but they're not getting their head turned around and tracking the football and making plays on the football, and that is another pet peeve that I just think. You know, I don't know if it's the coaching. I don't know if it's just because they're getting lazy with it, you know. Um, or if they just think, well, you know, things are happening so fast that we just need to teach you to do this because this will benefit you. Because if you're not getting your head turned around to see where the ball's coming, that wide receiver can lie to you. You know, if the wide receiver is really smart, he could lie to you. Because he knows. I mean, again, if you watch enough film and you see a guy that isn't getting his head turned around, and we've seen it. We see. I've seen multiple times wide receivers, the smart wide receivers, you know, the ones that know what they're doing. You know, they'll take advantage of a corner like that because they know, yeah. hey, you're just reading my body language. Let me do this. Boom, pi call. 
you know. So I just I don't know why, but that's but as far as cornerbacks, at least the cornerbacks I've seen, I I like Denzel Ward, but like I said, the shuffle bell really, you know, um, he's still raw, you know, he's still rawish, but I do really like his hips. I do really like his feet. I think he's instinctive. He's a willing tackler. He's not the best tackler. But he has, he shows a willingness to tackle. He's not like Justin Gilbert or any of the other corners that shall be, you know, not be named um, that aren't really into that tackling life. But I do like him. Uh, Tavares McFadden, from the games I've seen of him, he's improved a lot against the run. Last year, he wasn't really trying to get involved with the run. <laughs> Not trying to get involved with all your your foolishness in this running game where I can potentially get, you know, knocked around pretty good. But, yeah, I have seen him be willing to be involved in, you know, yeah, the, you know, uh, the, the, the dirty Stopping business. Stopping the run. The keeping it, yeah, run. keeping his body, yeah. keeping it, keeping it, you know, basically getting lever- getting leverage on the line, but on uh on the wide receiver, uh, you know, disengaging, basically put himself in good position consistently. And that's something that I, even though he hasn't always made the tackle, he's been putting himself in good position um, to make the tackle if the tackle comes his way, uh, which is what I like. You know, I like my corners. I mean, even if you're not making the tackle, at least you're, you're, you're putting yourself in position to where he, he, the, it can be made. You know, I, I've, I think he's improved a lot in that area. Uh, and to be honest, he really bullied Calvin Ridley in that game in particular against Alabama. Yep. Yep. Uh, which was, uh, I, to be honest, I, I was happy about it. But, um, yeah. But, yeah, you know, he definitely stuck out. As far as other, Maisie Wilkins, actually both the South Florida corners, um, Dietrich Nichols, who kind of plays more so, more of the slot kind of area, and uh, Maisie Wilkins. He's kind of more the boundary guy that's there. They both have shown to you know to be pretty decent in terms of everything. They're not like a lead or anything, but I do think that both those guys kind of showed a pretty decent, uh, pretty decent instincts uh, in terms of uh, what they're doing. Isaiah Oliver, I like Oliver from Col- you know the cornerback from uh, Colorado, Isaiah Oliver, but I question the speed. And maybe it's just because he played Michael Gallup, but Gallup was not having a lot of issues. Yeah, he's um, he's like a he's a four or five eight guy probably. He's, you know, I'm, I want to I don't want to say cover two, but he yeah. kind of is a cover two corner. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, I like you know that's a zone corner. There's nothing wrong with those guys if you have a type, certain type of defense. Fit those guys. I just. You know, based on database and everything, I usually I tend to value corners where you can pretty much put them in any situation and they can you know succeed if they're really good as well. You know, like I'm not just gonna take a corner who's just really great athlete. He doesn't really know how to do anything well. You know, and a lot of teams have done that and seen the results. Um, but yeah, and I, I like Oliver. I just question the the speed, specifically Michael Gallup, and maybe it's just because Michael Gallup is so good. But I did notice a little bit of you know, stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think of any other corners that really popped to me. But those are the big, at least the the two big corners that I've watched and I like, you know, Denzel Ward is definitely that. And then 
McFadden is that, and then the South Florida corners, uh, for the most part, I think, for the two big guys. But each and every single one of the guys I just mentioned have issues with the shut. They had the shuffle bell bug. A lot of those guys Ugh. I just mentioned, yeah. and Ugh. they got they can't get their head turned around. Right. So even the guys that I like got got these issues, you know. Yep. So, but yeah, but I but I think that those those are least of the guys that I. You know, in terms of improvements, because McFadden, I mean, in terms of ball skills and everything else like that, I think McFadden, you know, last year he showed you, you know, what else do you want him to show you in terms of ball skills, you know, ability to, you know, get interceptions from awkward positions, stuff like that. But I think this year he's really shown improvement in terms of, uh, you know, against the run, which is, you know, it's something that, that bugs me a lot about cornerbacks as well, is, is you got all these people going, wow, you said you're so great against the pass. They can't do that. Like, Gil, Justin Gilbert is the big, Justin Gilbert is by far the biggest reason why you need to pay attention to a corner when it comes to tackling and it be, and being really strong against the run. Because if you have a corner who isn't strong against the run and doesn't really care about that tackle in life, then how is he going to match up with it, you know anything you know any sort of situation that requires? And so once again, I say, why do you think the wide receiver screen is a thing? The reason the wide receiver screen is a thing is because. When, when corners are not tacklers, you can take this really nothing play because a corner who blasts through a block and tackles consistently will take that play out of your playbook. Pretty much. It'll be a, it's gone. It, it, it reduces a, everything. It's a loss of four yards every single Pretty time much. if you have a great tackling corner. Exactly. And it's what the Seahawks are doing. It's not that the Seahawks – I mean, that's the funny – you know, because a lot of people are like, well, what makes Seattle so great? Oh, it's because they have links. It's because they have, you know, all these other sort of things. Um, it, it really ain't that. It, it's it's not really about the link. I mean, the link is fun. It's helpful. But all the corners that Seattle's ever had and ever wanted were guys that fought through screens and made plays on screen. You know, the reason why they had such a, a really great passing defense in terms of reducing yardage in the NFL overall Sure, you know, being great cover corners and having pretty decent cover corners is helpful and having great safety, but when you take away the screen game, you're going to improve, you know, against the pass tremendously. You know, you reduce that easy out because it forces the quarterback to have to make some of those tougher passes, you know. So, yeah, I just, I don't know, I just don't get into that. Why, why people don't put enough emphasis on corners in the run game because, I think it's it should be like tackles should be just as important as interceptions, you know. Like and they are, but people just don't care, I guess, about tackling cornerbacks. But well, they better work to care because, as you pointed out, it's one of the greatest indicators of success. Yeah, on top of I mean, you know, everything matters. I mean, ball school matters. It's like anything else, you know. There's tons of traits that matter, but you get to pay attention to all the traits. You know, you can't just gravitate towards one thing and then, you know, make that the holy grail of things, which happens all the time. But, you know, I just, um, I don't know. It's just amazing. It's just one of those things where I just think people have to understand that, you know, there's more than one thing that makes a great football player. You know, and um, with cornerbacks, it's 
ball skills, yeah, but tackling ability, yeah, instincts, football tells all that kind of stuff. So Okay. And let see. We talked running backs. Talked about the line. I'm going to stay away from quarterbacks. Uh, let's talk tight ends and wide receivers, and we'll close this sucker out. So, wide receivers, I think this is a really good wide receiver class. Now, there may not be that. <laughs> well, and once again, let me preface this by saying this guy is not coming. He's not coming this year. He's not coming next year. If you're looking for Julio Jones, if you're looking for Calvin Johnson, if you're looking for Des Bryant even, no. that guy's probably not coming. He's mm-hmm. probably not going to find him. These guys don't come every year. He was come every year. <laughs> you're not going to see this guy. He won't be seen because he's not to be seen. However, if you are looking for... So I think you might find a new Hopkins. I think you might find a, a Greg Jennings. I think you might find a, uh, uh, what's his name, Hogan, Chris Hogan. Um, I think a lot of high-level number twos, some number ones, a lot of really, you know, perfect made-order number three types. I think there's some good players to be had at every position, every type of receiver, every, the big body possession guy, the, the speed, the, the slot, uh, and, you know, good, but I'm trying to think of a way to describe this. That guy who's the other guy, you know, look at that, the other guy, you know, the other guy receiver, really, but some really good, Great high-level other guy receiver types. You know, a Devontae Adams type, I think you're going to find some of those. I think you're going to find some, um, you know, a Garcon. You know, hey, that's a good guy. It's a good player. Pierre Garcon's good. You know, I, w- I would take him. I think that guy's out there. I also think the freak show, which is what some people think a number one receiver has to be. We've talked about why that isn't necessarily the case. But if you're looking for that guy, the, the freak show, the absolute – once-in-a-lifetime freak show guy, that guy's not coming. He's, he's not here. He hasn't been invited. But who are some of the receivers you're watching and why? Yeah, well, it's, you know, because I did – because, you know, you have, two, you have two camps when it comes to wide receivers. You have the one camp where you think that athleticism matters – like it's every like athleticism is everything, and if you don't have athleticism, then you can't be a successful NFL wide receiver. And that if you did, then you're just an outlier. You know, you'll make up an excuse. Oh, you were injured during the combine. Um, you, you know, what whatever excuse you want to make. All I'm trying to say is that when you look at wide receiver data, uh, you don't need to be an amazing athlete to be a great wide receiver because of the fact that there have been wide receivers who weren't the best athletes and became great wide receivers. So it's, uh, it's, it's questioning the fact of how much athleticism do you really need, you know, to be an elite wide receiver. Um, and I, I, when you look at guys like Anquan Bolton, I mean, Anquan Bolton definitely wasn't the fastest guy. 
but he did have elite explosive lower body strength, at least above average explosive lower body strength. He had elite production coming out of Florida State. And when you think about his skill set, what he brings to the table as an NFL player, it's explosive lower body strength. It's breaking tackles. It's dragging guy, you know, being tough, uh, you know, in, in between, uh, uh, you know, the hashes. So, um, and then you think of Antonio Brown, and he was a guy that had above average speed, and above average flexibility. He wasn't elite. You know, he didn't have elite flexibility and elite speed, but he did have above average speed and above average flexibility with elite production coming out and ended up turning into what he is. So I just think that, uh, and in fact, if you, it's funny because when you go back to that class, you know, when you go to the Antonio Brown class that he was in um, and you look at just from a production standpoint, like if you just filtered it down to, to, to three dudes who, who had the, uh, you know, the production, and everything else like that, you would have narrowed it down to a choice between Golden Tate and Antonio Brown. Which isn't bad. It isn't a bad position, you know, because Golden Tate is definitely, you know, that's you know, it's not a bad situation to be in, 100%. But if you had been a athleticism, that's my thing guy, you would have gone Golden Tate versus Antonio Brown. So it's it, again, it starts to question. It's why there's more to this than just one. It's why you can't just look at everything based on one thing. Um, but yeah, in this wide receiver class, I, I think there's a ton of, I mean, there's obviously a ton of talent. Cortland Sutton, of course, Cortland Sutton. Um, I think he's kind of a better Mike Williams type possession, you know, type wide receiver. Uh, of course you have Richie James, you know, Richie James in Middle Tennessee State. But the one guy I keep coming back to this year, and it might just be because they, they play, so many, you know, they started the season out, of course, you know, in the early games, you know, Colorado State, of course, played Colorado, and then, of course, he's playing Alabama right now. But Michael Gallup has really impressed me this year. Um, a lot more than I, like, I liked Michael Gallup going into the year. I had him as, you know, kind of a top 10 wide receiver going into the year in terms of ranking. But I really like him this year. It's just kind of bad because I just think, you know, he's someone that has shown to have the speed to, to break away from people, um, has shown really great body control consistently, game in, game out. And on top of that, it's shown to be a really, really good, you know, at least better than most college players in terms of route running ability. Um, so I, I just really like him. I think Calvin Ridley has shown his stuff. I haven't been blown away by him. As other people have, I think when it comes to like breaking tackles, and which that isn't his game. I mean, his game really is speed and, uh, you know, kind of beating people with routes. But I just haven't seen this sort of top 10 wide receiver type, you know. I, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a good NFL player. I just don't think he's going to be the Hall of Famer that some people <laughs> think he, you know, because a lot of people mention him with like Amari Cooper. Uh, or uh, Julio Jones even, which, you know, in that draft, when a Mark Cooper is being compared to Julio Jones, I'm like, well, hold on, people. You know, Mark Cooper is really good, but he ain't Julio Jones, you know. But, um, and now it's kind of being the same thing with Calvin Ridley. But, yeah, you know, I like Ridley. James Washington, of course, hasn't been able to showcase. I mean, the biggest thing, at least to me, is he hasn't been able to showcase his route running ability in terms of deep sort of routes just because of the nature of – of Mason Rudolph, you know, because 
he's just kind of chucking it up there, you know, in terms of stuff. So, uh, so Washington is definitely showing you know, the ability to fight and win contested catches and stuff like that, but he's just not really showing, uh, you know, more precise routes when it comes to those sort of deep areas because he, it, you know, the ball is just kind of being thrown his way despite all that. So, and that's the only sort of main criticism they have of Washington this year. Um, I don't know. So, Simi Cobbs Jr., I think he's, uh, he's definitely uh, turned it on, I guess, is a better – maybe that's one of the terms I'd use, but he's definitely showed a lot more this year than previous years. If he stays healthy, I think he'll uh, eventually get – rise, you know, rise up a bit in terms of people's um, thoughts about him. Uh, Traquan Smith at Central Florida. I don't know if you've seen him, Bill, but he's – not the best route runner ever, but he does show pretty good ball control. Um, when the you know when the ball's in the air, he, he shows pretty good ability to bring it down for the most part. Um, um, and he's uh, pretty shown some of that. And um, yeah, as far as wide receivers, that's really. Now I've seen a lot. A lot of them have a lot of like Paris Campbell at Ohio State is just kind of a Curtis Samuel clone, but a little bit more raw which is kind of weird to me. Deion Kane at Clemson has not really – like, he's not bad, but I still like Hunter Renfro a lot better as a route runner. And I'm, you know, I just, I just keep – you know, they keep targeting Deion Kane, and I'm like, why don't you target the guy that's open? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, because Hunter Renfro is open, and Deion Kane isn't open. So – I guess the guy that's open. Um, yeah, so there's a bit of that in me as well uh, that I'm just kind of, you know, I don't know, weird. But, um, but yeah, I think this is a good class. And, of course, Debo Samuel, I still don't get the Debo Samuel love. So I don't know if I ever will, but um, I understand there's been some hype around him. Still, as a kick returner and punt returner, I think he's looked pretty decent in terms of those things. But being a good kick returner and punt returner, is different from being a, a really good wide receiver. You know, and Cordell Patterson can tell you all about that, you know. But, yeah. What do you think of the uh, all-name team member, Equinamius St. Brown? Oh, yeah. Um, I like him. Um, I don't, re- you know, I haven't really done a lot this year. Um, I was a little bit more. I haven't like really focused in on him a hundred percent this year. I think I watched a couple games. We didn't really do a ton. Um, you know, he did a little bit more last year. You know, when I when I was watching him, um, he has a very he has an interesting story though. You know, like his you know his dad was a bodybuilder. And, you know, um, and all this other, and he has a cool name. You know, as well. He's played at Notre Dame, you know, so a lot of stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I just haven't um, – and I haven't seen this game yet either, but I just he hasn't really uh, made his presence known, I guess, is the best way to put it this year in terms of St. Brown. So, right. uh, through some the first couple games. Some of that's due to this, you know, sort of an unsettled – tell me if you've heard this before, an unsettled quarterback situation at Notre Dame. But <clears> – <throat> You know, stop me if you've heard that before, but I, I would like to see more from him. 
I, I, I want to see if he's more than just a guy that runs nine routes really well and, you know, can fight for... I see him do some fight for contested catches, which is cool. You want a guy to do that. Yeah. You also want a guy to be able to not always have to be contested. You know, you want a guy to occasionally be able to gain good separation, not just by going straight up the field and running away from people, but create separation on dig routes, create separation on plants, create separation on uh, you know, double moves, and create separation on you know, comebacks and things like that, because you know, we can't make a living even anywhere, but I'm not the NFL, I'm just running nine miles. Not that all he does, but a lot of the, the hype was based on a handful of big claims we just ran away from the defense. Yeah, you know, it's Deshaun Kaiser, you know, going for the deep ball, um, you know, those kind of situations and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I do agree. I mean, he he hasn't really developed the short stuff very well, you know. Um, I will say that. And well, I he's don't... going to have to do because he's, he's college fast. I'm going to let you wrong. But I don't think he's NFL. I don't think he's Deshaun Jackson. You know what I mean? I don't think that guy is going to oh, run away no, from people. Oh, no, 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 no. He's not. I mean, he's not. I mean, Deshaun Jackson was a 4 3 7 guy, you know. He's, he's right. really fast. He's really right. fast. I mean, we saw John Ross. I mean, as I tell most people, John Ross should now, you know, John Ross should now be your marker where you go, okay, I think this guy's a 4-3 guy. Watch John Ross and think, okay, no, he's not. You know you know what I'm saying? Like, we've, we've seen a four, like, legitimately proven to be 4-3 guy, John Ross, but you have that in your mental Rolodex, you know, and, and St. Brown is not necessarily that. He kind of reminds me of, like, Devontae Parker just in terms of uh, – you know, style. I'm trying to think reminded me of. Thank you. That was very good. Wow. Yeah, just in terms of like body composition and uh, you know, uh, and what he you know what he usually tries to do. Um, Parker was a little bit better when it comes to the shorter stuff, but still is kind of iffy with a lot of you know different in terms of like speed manipulation. So he was always like breaking routes off a little too quickly and. Um, you know, for whatever reason, I guess, trying to mix, you know, because, I mean, sure, you want you want to have some variation with your routes, but you also want to let your quarterback know when you're going to start winging it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you don't want to be going out there and doing, like, this crazy, you know, like, you just go out there and you do this crazy, like, symphony of, of route running prowess, and you change up your releases every single time, and you're like, yeah, I'm killing them, coach, I'm killing them. And then you check the stat sheet, and, you know, three for 25 yards, you know, 25 yards because the quarterback is like, I don't, I don't know where you're going, you know, like you're, just, you're doing all the things. Yeah, I mean, sure, some of that's with the quarterback situation, but as you know, Bill, I, as a guy who does a ton of cumulative data work, you know, you, you can't always blame the quarterback situation, you know. At some point, you have to, you know, if you're an elite player, if you're an elite wide receiver, it doesn't matter what quarterback, you'll make the quarterback look good. If the quarterback may not even look good, but you'll look good even with that quarterback. You know, if, you know, unless you have like a, like one of the worst quarterbacks ever. You know, because I think the last time I did a study on this, uh, most quarterbacks, it was kind of even. You know, most of the really great wide receivers, the average quarterback play was like 50. 
but you had some guys who had terrible quarterbacks. You had other guys who had really great quarterbacks from a, you know, from a statistical standpoint. So it really doesn't matter whether you have a good one or a great one, you know, you just, just having, you know, you have to have a quarterback, obviously, to be a wide receiver. So that's really all it really proved, you know, um, more than anything else. But, yeah, I mean, I like St. Brown. Again, I think it's a great story, uh, you know, in terms of just all that kind of stuff. But I, I'm still, you know, hasn't really blown me away yet is the best way to put it so far, you know, this year. Okay. Now, I'm going to be honest. I've only seen a handful of tight ends. You know, the kid, the kid at Louisville, Crum. Um, uh, who else have I seen? I saw an Arizona tight end of all things that kind of impressed me uh, recently. Um, you know, because Arizona doesn't really feature the tight end, but he had a good night. Uh, but I haven't seen a lot. You know, so... I'm a pretty clean slate when it comes to tendons this year. I've only seen a couple and haven't studied any of them seriously yet, but have you had a chance to check any of the tight ends out? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I saw, you know, Mark Andrews, of course. Like I said, I think he might get the Jason Morrow criticism. He's not quite Jason Morrow, though, but I just mean it in terms of he, he's, he ain't in line. He ain't into that in line life. You know, so you won't, you'll mostly find him being lined up in, you know, some of those trips kind of formations a lot, um, you know, to the slots and kind of stuff. So, um, but he is okay. I mean, he's a safety blanket. He has that classic tight end body composition type thing. Um, It's aesthetically pleasing is the best way to put it. I think some people just like tight ends that are aesthetically pleasing. And he's kind of like that. Um, sure. Troy, Troy Fumagalli at Wisconsin. Right. Okay. From the game, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've seen twice now. Actually, yes, Troy Fumagalli for yeah. Colorado. I saw him twice now. Yeah, he he wasn't the most impressive in the last the last uh, game. I at least the Utah State game. He wasn't. I wasn't really feeling him 100. Um, percent I felt him a little bit more last year, but he definitely. He he really he's another I'm I don't really know if he's I don't want to say pocket size tight end. He's kinda of in between a pocket size tight end and the inline tight end. He's six three and three quarters and two hundred and forty six pounds or something like that. So right, yeah. Right on the cuff. He's he's like Charles he's just like a slightly larger Charles Clay. Exactly. So that's the only thing I get worried about because as you know, Bill, the NFL when it comes to these in between guys, they don't know what to do with, you know, they don't really know. They don't, they want them to be part of the passing game, but then again, they think a slot receiver is a better mismatch. I think it has more to do with that. They just think of, you know, a short, quick slot receiver is a little bit better of a mismatch versus a, a linebacker, at least in the NFL's mind. You know, I don't know what they're thinking, but, I just think that yeah, I mean, he may run into Chan that Gilly, sort of issue. Sam Gilly was like the one of the last people I saw who really knew what the heck to do with, um, you know, the H-back. But, yes, for the most part, yeah. I was shocked that even a guy who was an H-back, like Ken Wisenhut, didn't do more with them. Uh, so, you know, I mean, Frank Wycheck. I mean, there's a few places where you can find where they actually know what to do with you, but it's few and far between. 
Yeah. There's definitely that. Um, another tight end, Ryan Izzo at Florida State. Um, in the Alabama game in particular, I felt like he held his own. Um, he definitely had some slip-ups, but as a blocker, he was one of the few things that was working during that game. So maybe that's the big thing is that he, you know, he actually was having some success um, against Alabama. But I felt like he kind of popped a little bit. Um, kind of had some of those easy grabs, though. You know, some of those play-action tight end kind of, you know, you know, pop pass kind of thing. Um, and then Jordan Atkins, in such a Florida. He's another pocket-sized tight end, but he's a guy that I've consistently seen a lot of, um, for whatever reason. I'm I think it's because of where I am, the location of where I'm, but I've seen a a little bit more Central Florida than most. And Jordan Atkins is kind of a pocket side side in, but I do kind of like his style of play. And, um, uh, yeah, all those sad LSU fans. Um, but, yeah. Now, I, Andrew's, at, Andrew's at Oklahoma. What was it, a knee sprain or what was it? Well, I can't remember what happened with his knee. Do you remember? I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know what happened with his knee. So, I don't really know about that. Um, as far as other tight ends that I, I mean, you have Dallas Godert. I he's a po- he's a pocket side tight end, so I really don't know. I mean, the difference between him and the tight end that the Bears drafted uh, last year, Shaheen. The, yeah, Shaheen. Yeah. Shaheen is a giant. You know, he's really tall, thickly built, athletic, length, all that stuff. Like he's again the the if you if you're drafting in the FCS the NFL thinks you have to get the the craziest freak guy that you can find he fits that kind of bill you know um, Gals Goder might be six three two hundred and forty pounds maybe a little bit more maybe two forty five so that's a pocket size you know that's you know, more so on the pocket size realm so that's kind of where I worry with uh. With Goder, though I haven't seen um, film with him this year yet, at least from this year. Um, and then other tight end, I have not seen Jasicki. Jasicki hasn't gotten a lot of play though either. I haven't seen a lot of pom pom being raised. Thank you. I, I forgot about him. I have seen him. Here's what I say: He's a decent blocker. Um, okay. Uh, people need to calm down with the Gaunt comparisons. He's not that kind of athlete. He's. A, <laughs> I, I hate to bring up. Jesse James, because it feels like a lazy comparison, but it's a better comparison than Gronk. I mean, <laughs> um, like James, he's big. He's legitimate. You know, he's, once again, what they look for size-wise. He's legitimately thought 6'5 and change. He's legitimately to probably almost 250. If not 250, he's right at it. He's maybe 248 at least. Um Reasonably good body control. He gets the ball outside of his frame. Um, good enough blocker that they will run plays to his side when he's blocking. Um, but he's not Jason Witten. I mean, he's not complete, complete. He's not a super route runner. He's an above-average route runner. And right. what else can I say about him? I mean, my, uh, notes, my notes on him last year was he was slow, soft hands. You know. Yeah, right, right. I mean, he may be he might even be a little less less athletic than Jesse James, but right, he does have soft mm-hmm. hands. He's a pretty decent blocker. 
has a good sense of where to settle down and get zones. Not a super route runner. I mean, like, he's not, like I said, not like Gronk, not like Tony uh, Gonzalez or, or even Witten. He's not a guy that, you know, who, who snaps off his routes like a guy who's 60 pounds lighter. You know, he's not that. But, you know, he's, he's proficient. That's the term I think I'd use. He's a proficient route runner. Not exceptional, but proficient. He gets the job done in all phases, which is increasingly difficult to find. So I guess pretty much just the fact that he can do all the tight endy things that people want to see tight ends do, he can do all those things. Yeah, because the tight end position has become increasingly more um, at least what I've seen, it's become more and more robotic um, as well, in terms of going through the motions a lot, you know, in terms of swing passes and, you know, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, but there's definitely that. I, I wasn't, you know, I don't think this tight end class is going to be like the last, and we don't even know what this tight end class is going to be. The funny thing about tight end, Bill, is as rookies, they don't really do that well. Well, well I mean, for obvious reasons, but Tight ends as rookies, for the most part, I haven't done a full thing yet on it, but there is some truth to like the first year for most tight ends is not the most successful, just from a production standpoint. You know? Like they definitely contribute and they do their thing, but they don't like come in and have like an Odo Beckham Jr. like you, you know what I'm saying? As a tight end, you know, that doesn't really happen that often. So, but uh, but yeah, this this tight end class, I mean, it's good. It's solid. Um, going into the year, I didn't really see any, but like, I didn't see any elite talent. Um, and honestly, I would have felt better if guys like David Njoku or even, um, a couple of, you know, there, I don't know, there wasn't a couple other guys, but like if David Njoku had stayed in school, I think it would have benefited him a little to me. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens, but I do think that. Um, the talent is a little bit physical talent. I think is a little bit less in this class of tight end, which isn't the worst thing in the world, but it's a noticeable difference in terms of athleticism between these guys and the guys last year. Right. Yeah, I I will say this, and I, I guess I just need to take this quick moment. It, people like to compare people to people, uh, for you know, because it's shorthand, and I do it. I mean, I, I almost pride myself on the amount of time and energy I spend on player comparisons. There have been lots of players that people have wanted to try to compare to Cam Newton. I I won't say this much, and I'm not I'm not, I'm not saying Nick Fitzgerald, Nick Fitzgerald is Cam Newton. But in terms of the ability to do Cam Newton-y things, I think the person who comes the closest to doing those things that I've seen since Cam Newton, especially in the SEC, might be Nick Fitzgerald. Uh, he's a big kid. Not quite as big as Cam. He's sort of like Cam on a, you know, on a diet or a budget or both or something. But he has a strong arm. Maybe not Cam strong, but well above you know, well above average arm strength, big kid, runs well, 
I think he might even be a slightly better decision maker at this point in his career than Cam was at a similar point. I'll be interested to see what the NFL thinks of a guy like Nick Fitzgerald. Because, hmm. as we mentioned, you know, there's a lot of people often look for what they don't like about, especially quarterbacks, you know, I don't like this thing or I don't like that thing. And, you know, maybe the success of Dak will help a little bit with that, with the, the usual sort of dislike of Hopefully. certain fla- flavors of quarterbacks. But uh, yeah. but Nick Richards has been impressive. Uh, and they might be the biggest threat to Alabama. Might, you know, might be them. They are... Might be, because Alabama's off this... I mean, they're a little off. Yes, correct. I mean, I'm not saying that they're weak. I mean, they're just, you know, they're a little off no. this year so far. Yeah. yeah. They're not the Alabama of... Well, I mean, most years recently, they're not quite there. They're not quite that Alabama. They're not this juggernaut yeah. that's going to slaughter lesser competition. They they struggled a bit with the kind of teams they used to simply shove face first into a wood chipper. They aren't doing that. No, because they have a lot of young sort of stuff. No, that might be, I mean, it might be interesting. The only thing I would say is, um, I mean, if you want to, I'm not saying you can't do your comparison to Cam. I just don't make comparisons to Cam because no, no, I don't think he's Cam Newton. Uh, I want to make it extremely clear. I'm okay. saying that of the people I've heard, I mean, people have been whipping out, you know, I mean, Jeremy, what, Jeremy Johnson. I mean, there's a – Yeah. Whatever. All the other people that – he's the one who's closest of all the rather okay. irresponsible Cam Newton comparisons I've seen people whip out. In oh, I get, of, I get what you're saying. I get what you're in saying. In terms of his actual on-field play. He's not as big as okay. who is. And he's not as athletic because who is. I'm saying, right. like, you know, what the oh, poor man. Like, uh, yeah. No, I But his actual big Duke Cam Newton things, he's closer than the other people I've heard people compare. That's all. Yeah, Jeremy Johnson and Felipe uh, Franks and, you know, any any and random sort. Yeah. Of of guys like you know I understand what you're saying. I I get I get it I understand what you're saying. Oh, what, what was that kid in South Florida? Um, not South Florida, I mean South um, Alabama. Well, oh, Brandon Bridge. Brandon Bridge. Oh yeah, yeah Brandon. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So yes, yeah, so of all the rather crazy, irresponsible Cam Newton comparisons. This one is also crazy and irresponsible, but less so, I think, is what I was trying to say, than all the others I've seen. That's, that's all I was pointing out. But, yes, go ahead. Oh, uh, with what exactly? I was saying, of all the crazy, irresponsible comparisons, I'm just saying this one is less so. That's all I was saying. It is a less crazy, irresponsible comparison than all the other Cam Newton comparisons I've seen. Okay, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, that makes sense. But yes, uh, go ahead.
Are there any other players in any other positions that we might not have addressed that you feel like are deserving of maybe more love and attention before we close this this, uh, show out? Well, you know, we definitely talked about Will Hernandez. So, yeah, I I loved watching him. He... He really is – I mean, you don't often talk about going to see a guard play, but he, that's a guy I would go say. I would go watch him. You know, I would go to a game to watch that guy block people. Yeah. And he just literally, like I said, splatters them. It's like watching, you know, a watermelon getting hit by a Volkswagen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I already confessed my – that's, yeah, that's really about it. Um as far as, you know, college football stuff, yeah. Okay. Um, so I've been working on my Saquon Barkley comparisons, right? And the, the amongst the guys that have come to mind since I've watched him, he's, it's like, if you were, if like Carnell, a.k.a. Cadillac Williams had a baby with like, Ricky Williams. I mean, I've been trying to find, like, you know what I mean? Like, is there's a, because there's no one running back. I mean, he's got some LaDainian Tomlinson stuff to him, but isn't that, isn't quite LaDainian in terms of raw acceleration. He doesn't accelerate quite like that. He's quick. He's fast. He's not LaDainian. I mean, once again, go back and look at the taste. That cheese. <laughs> I can make that guy accelerate. <laughs> Rather than just sort of going through my mental, mental Rolodex, and of course I just see so darn many running backs. You know, there's so many guys that come to mind, but no one that sort of fits it. Like I have to come up with sort of hybrids. I have to combine people. You know, like I said, you know, Curtis Martin and Dean, plus with Ian Thompson or Carnell Williams and Ricky Williams or whatever. I try to sort of find one. When you think about Saquon Barkley, who do you, are the guys that you're reminded of, or or does he, you know, is he truly singular? I I wouldn't necessarily say he's truly singular. Um, I mean, he does remind me a little bit of Edwin James. He does remind me a little bit of Elliot, uh, but. You know, what, what I typically do a lot of times, you know, because of data, because of all that stuff I do, is when I get athletic testing and I get all the other kind of stuff, and they test like a certain type of back, uh, for example, I'll typically go back and watch you know, that, that other back to see if, uh, you know, if there's similarities or, you know, uh, other stuff like that. It's like, with the Eric Dickerson thing, which again, I, you know, Derek Henry, like Derek Henry is not Eric Dickerson. But when I went back and watched Eric Dickerson, I did see similarities in terms of like running style and, you know, like there's similarities, not to say they're the same cat. It's just that, you know, there were similarities in terms of the way that they ran the football because Derek Henry is not, you know, he wasn't like a bulldozer, but you know, back you know what i'm saying he wasn't out to kill you because the mere act of tackling him is enough you know (laughs) just the act of trying to (laughs) just the act of trying to take him down is is enough to to put some damage in you know you don't have to go all 
berserker rage, you know, and people. Um, right. But yeah, I, I felt stylistically there was that. But yeah, Edwin, you know, Edwin James only comes to mind. But but again, I think I See, think Eddie George, like him. Eddie George was the guy that I sort of, yeah, you know, saw a little bit of, but. But Eddie George did have a little more of that berserker rage in his running style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, probably yeah. Eddie George could have, you know, maybe avoided some contact. He was like, nope, I've decided I'm going to put my pads in your nose. Yeah. It's just a guy like Dickerson, you know, based on the college from my thought of him, um, you know, his style is just similar to Henry, you know. Like, he def he definitely wasn't like a I'm not saying he's a wuss or whatever. I'm just saying he's very much a one cut get up field, get as many yards as he can get type of you know, type of guy. Um right. that was very much what Henry was like. Didn't have the same athletic gifts, but definitely similar in terms of stylistically and that's pretty much no one has had those. I mean Yeah. When I through the entire history of the game of football, at the running back position, when I think of just pure athletic gifts. For me, it's O.J. Simpson, well, Jim Brown. Okay, Jim Brown, O.J. Simpson, Dickerson, Ollie Matson. Now, once again, most people aren't familiar with Ollie Matson. He's a Hall of Fame running back who was also literally an Olympic sprinter. Not, you know, a guy, people exactly throw him on terms like Olympic class. No, he was, he won a medal in the Olympics. You know, so <laughs> when a guy is 217 pounds and can actually literally win an Olympic medal, you know, that that means something. And he was one of the early – not that they threw the ball, like, nowadays, but he was a guy who really had good hands. Unfortunately, just because he played when he played, you know, the late 1950s through the uh, – or, yeah, mid-1950s through the mid-1960s, he didn't throw the ball like that. So he didn't get a chance to really show that, showcase that the way he could. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's – I mean, just pure athletic ability. Um, Gail Sayers is a guy that's, that's, you know, comes along not long after that. Reggie Bush is a guy that's just pure athletic ability, is probably in the top 20, just didn't end up having that amazing career that people were expecting. But it, it's funny because you look back at his actual career numbers, especially if you put everything in there, you know, return well, yardage. Reggie Bush wasn't bad. I just, I think, he was you know, because I did, I did a video on Bush. And what I noticed, you have to look at it like this. You know, Rich Bush goes to the Saints. What, what, what does Sean Payton do with running backs? You know, he does a lot of things with them, but mostly he platoons loading daylights out of them. Exactly. And I think with Bush, it, the biggest thing for him is that he was, he was stuck at New Orleans for a while where he wasn't allowed to be all he can be. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. I mean, they definitely used him to do certain things, and they, you know, they used him in the passing game, they used him in the running game. He definitely was that home run hit type guy, um, and even won a Super Bowl too, if, if my memory doesn't, you know, correct me. But he was um, had Super Bowl. Yeah, he was on that team. Um, of course, he, you know, had had some injuries too. But you have to understand the shelf life for running back. When I was doing my running back data, the shelf life for running backs is really short. Um, yeah. And even guys that, like, even guys that are productive when they're in their 30s, 
like they're a lot rarer than people think. Oh, you know? yeah. I mean, Curtis Martin, it's a short list of guys who really, Marcus Allen, the guys who had great closes, Tiki Barber, like it's a short list of right. guys who had great closes, not good, not decent, not athletic, you know, but great, you know, like Tiki Barber, I think is either number one or number two in the last three years of your career. Either the best three years or the second best three years of the end of an NFL running career ever. I mean, people don't yeah. think of Tiki Barber that kind of way, but I think he was either number one or number two in terms of that composite score of that last three years in terms of yards, uh, total yards for scrimmage, yards per carry, and um, uh, what is it? Yards well, for scrimmage. Well, yeah, pretty much, yeah. you know, market share. To, I mean, whatever you want to say. Yeah, it's all that stuff, yeah. It, all the stuff, he pretty much had a really great, you know, he had his best years were his last years, you know. Yes. Um, and then he Correct. retired. And then the Giants won the Super Bowl. And then he was a little fucking yeah. about it. And then, yeah. he, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, he, but, but I, I think with Bush, what, what I noticed when I was looking at him, you know, he had a guy that was in a, he was stuck in a situation. Again, I'm not trying to like, oh, we're running back stuff, but I'm just saying he's stuck on a Sean Payton team. He finally gets to go to another team, get featured, does well in that featured role, and then he just gets to a point at an age where most running backs start to break down. You know, the majority right. of backs just start to break down when they, when they hit 29, 30 years old. Most backs, that's you got a couple, you got a few guys here and there that defy the odds, you know. But I just feel like if Bush had went to a different place, maybe he would have been featured more, maybe he would have been the featured back more, and then as a result, he would have had a more prestigious career, I guess. You know, right. Because he had a pretty decent running back career. Yeah, yes. he just did. It's just that oh, yes. he had a very when you're good, taking solid. top five. Yeah, yeah, he, right. Yeah. That's the issue. <clears throat> you expect a little bit more out of the guy, but then again, I think the Saints. It's funny thing about the Saints. You know, people talk about draft value and all this other kind of stuff. The Saints are kind of like, I don't know, they're kind of like that team that you know they 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 don't under. Not to say they don't. Well, maybe they don't understand draft value, but you know, you they draft a wide receiver. <laughs> Yeah, they just want their guys. But yeah, you draft the guy in top five, and then you use them sparingly. Like, you, sparingly. You know, you draft a wide receiver, like a, you know, like a Robert Meacham. And, again, I'm not saying that Robert Meacham was the greatest wide receiver ever. I'm just saying you draft a wide receiver like Robert Meacham, and then you use them kind of sparingly. You draft a wide receiver in Brandon Cooks in the first round, and you kind of use them sparingly because you treat wide receivers like committee, like it's wide receiver by committee. You're like, no one guy is going to have a ton of touches. So why even invest the first rounder into a guy like that? If you're only going to use them this much, you know what I'm saying? So I just think that that's the biggest thing with Bush is I just, I just kind of wonder, you know, what if, what if he had gone uh, to a different situation because, you know, a team that they said you're going to get 20 carries and four receptions per game every yeah. every game, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, no matter what, and just see what happens. 
you know, and I think if he had done that, he would have had a little bit more, you know, because, I mean, a lot of the plays, I mean, again, a lot of plays he had on the Saints, some of them were, were amazing, you know, um, yes. I in saw terms him, of individual plays. I remember a busted screenplay that he basically turned to a putt return, and what looked like it was about, about a seven or eight-yard loss, he turned to about 22-yard gain, and there's a short list of guys in the league who could have done it, a really short list who could have done that. So, yes, he did some things. And the punt, you know, as a punt returner, as a receiver out of the backfield, as, you know, and occasionally even as a running back. And people, you know, Clay had said that he had a tendency to try to bounce everything to the outside. And early in his career, I think that was a legitimate, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, criticism, because he did, you know, sort of eschew three- and four-yard games to try to make, you know, a home run on almost every time, he, you know, he tried to score a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, he definitely had that stuff. But, again, if you go to a different team, you get different types of coaching, you know, it's, it's you know, it, well, I think it's just something shed, that you think about. I think he would have shed that habit earlier on. If he had, like you said, been a 20-carry guy, he would have figured it out sooner that you can't turn every touch into a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the big okay. – yeah, but that's the other thing with, with him. But, yeah, go ahead. I was going to throw one of the tight ends that kind of impressed me. This kid, Hurst, at South Carolina, have you seen him? Yeah, yeah, Hayden Hurst, yeah. Yes. He's fun. He's got a little um, poor man's shocky to him. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, kind of poor man's over there. The only, the only yeah. thing that came up with him in the in the data was he was a little bit older, um, but that was about <laughs> it. Did you play minor league baseball or something? I think so. Yeah, something like that. Um, my he's just a little older. But that's like three that. years. My memory is that he got drafted out of high school and played like three years on minor league ball or something. So he's like twenty four or something now. Yeah, he's a little older. But again, age is you know that doesn't prevent you from being you know a starter in the NFL. It's just more you know high. Like we're not saying Hayden Hurst is a first rounder. But, um, yeah, that was the only sort of thing that came up with him. But, yeah, I, I like him. Um, that whole South Carolina team, I don't know. It's just weird. But um, they've been playing a lot better than I thought they were going to play. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I I liked them more than most, probably too much. I picked them to beat Kentucky, and maybe they won't do that. But uh, I I think they're a good team. And I think they have a chance to be, you know, to be a threat in the East, uh, partially because the East is, you know, not exactly an impossible thing. And like I said, people always talk about the SEC, and the SEC is good. I mean, but I mean, it's not always, it's not always this, you know, eight, you know, levels above everyone else in college thing that some people think it is. Like this year particularly, I do not think there's a huge gap within the SEC and everybody else. I think this year there is maybe not even a gap, or if the gap is there, it's not very big between them and the rest of the college football world. And I think that will be shown. You also have to understand that because recruiting is international now, you know, because you got Florida guys playing at Ohio State, you know, you got – Yes, lots of them. uh, 
<laughs> yeah, you got New Jersey guys playing in Michigan, you know. Um, you know, you got a lot of stuff like that going on. So I think because of that, the whole SEC, you recruit your backyard, which is a bunch of, you know, kind of frozen tundra type people, you know, salt of the earth guys, and we recruit all our guys, you know, in the South that can run. I think a lot of that is going away, you know, a lot of it's blurring, right. I guess. Yeah, you don't yeah, have I mean, the advantage right. anymore, you know. Right. I mean, the first undefeated team that um, Joe Paterno had at Penn State was literally something like 88% Penn- Pennsylvania natives, and the rest were from New Jersey and Ohio. I think that's how that team yeah. was composed. I think almost the entire team came from three states. <laughs> three or four states. I think they might have had like a handful of Indiana, Illinois players and the other 95% of the roster was obviously, like I said, mostly Pennsylvania, a little bit of Ohio and New Jersey. And like I said, I think there might have a couple of other, you know, Midwesterners that were out, that were outside of the um, immediate area, but not, I mean, it was a, a tiny number. And then they started really recruiting my part of the country pretty well. They, they used to get, a good number of Virginians, um, you know, every era. Like by the time I was in high school, they did it. I remember they got, my senior year, they got three Tidewater kids that were really solid players for them. Keith Goganis, who was a, a All-American linebacker, they got. Uh, they got uh, Tim Freeman, who went on to become a starting tackle, and, of course, um, I guess the 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 most well known of all was DJ Dozier, who was a uh, guy who was like finished seventh Heisman Trophy voting or something, and was a uh, what do you call it high level uh, you know running back for them, all American running back. But all those guys were from my part of the country, all those guys from Virginia Beach. So they started recruiting that area pretty well, you know. By the you know that was that was the you know late 1980s, but or mid 1980s, but they. In the 60s, that team was, you know, Pennsylvanians, pretty much. But, yeah, the world has changed, like you said. Uh, there's kids from Germany and kids from Australia. I mean, all the good punters seem to be now coming from Australia for some reason. All the Australians football, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting draft. I think that, as you said, there's going to be some really good guards. I think that, once again, it'll be hard as hell to find linebackers. Uh, I think there'll be some teams that will do well in terms of getting the right, um, you know, the right, uh, what do you call it, DBs. Uh, there's some good DBs to be had. I think some people will pick the wrong ones because that's just what happens. You know, we forgot to talk about it all was Royce Freeman, uh, who I, I got to watch today. I hadn't seen him since last year. And he ran ran roughshod all over Wyoming. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he did. He ran just crazy wild well, all over. I mean, them. what do you expect yeah. is going to happen against? Right. Yeah. Oregon's yeah. back. The Ducks. Yeah. Are back. So yeah, they, they're getting their quack yeah. on again. That's correct. They're once again getting their quack on. But uh, and yes, and and like I said, we got to check out the uh, the Ferg, the what do you call it the you know, Riley Ferguson versus uh, Josh Rosen battle today. Yep. 
Uh, Freeman, Freeman showed power. Freeman showed balance. Freeman showed speed. And yes, it is. It does help that it's Wyoming. Uh, I, I finally got a chance to see your guy, Justin Herbert. And, you know, he's, he's okay. I mean, I sort of have him in that same sort of tier with, with uh, Brett Rippon, you know, guys to watch more of, uh, you know, who have some components and some, there's right. some stuff there. Well, keep in mind, he's a true sophomore, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he looks super young. Oh, my God. He looks like he's about 15. Oh, yeah. He's very, he's very young. Very, very young guy. Um, you know, I just like the components. I mean, he, you know, he has more work to do, definitely. But, uh, you know, I think in the Pac-12 and all that sort of other stuff, I think he has a shot to, you know, develop, you know, for the yep. next class. So. Agreed. Uh, Jim, for those who don't already know, tell them where they can find your work and follow you, sir. Uh, sure. You can uh, find my work at draftcobra.wordpress.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Geometrics. And you can also check out my work at commonmanfootball.com. I've uh, been doing a lot of game previews and stuff like that. Did a ton of NFL stat work, man. Um, a oh, ton. Okay. Looking at everything, kickoff returns, punt returns, uh, kick percentage, punting averages, um, you know, offensive scoring, and defense, like everything, uh, to see what matters the most to winning football games at the NFL level. And I'm going to be doing a lot of, um, you know, work related to that kind of stuff. And just to give a spoiler alert, what I was amazed to see is that punting – is not the biggest deal as other things in terms of win. Like you could have like a really crazy punter, you know, just averaging like 50 yards, you know, uh, per punt and your winning doesn't really go up or down that much. It's kind of in the middle. So, um, but yeah, I was just looking at everything because I just like to do that. You know, like I, I just get tired of just accepting things, you know, as just facts when you haven't really seen if it's backed up, you know, like, it, oh, arm length matters at offensive tackle. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And you look at the data and you go, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter as much as we think it does. So I just kind of like to do, you know, stuff like that. So that's the next sort of project I've been working on is um, looking at, NFL statistics, like every statistic in terms of what really matters to winning football games, because I think everybody else is doing the fantasy football thing. They can do that. They've been doing it really well, but nobody's really been working on the winning football games thing. So that's what I've been trying to do, at least right now. So, Gotcha. Well, as always, your insights, information, and ridiculous amount of work is uh, greatly appreciated and incredibly impressive. I, I get a, you know, I, like I said, I get excited about some of the things that you figure out, some of the things you uncover and, you know, like I said, the work that you do. It's, uh, like I said, super fun to learn some of the things. You know, I, I like I said, 45 plus years of been watching football, and to still have new things 
brought to me and, and figure, you know, like I said, you know, new worlds open up, at least in part through the work that you do, makes this, you know, keeps this exciting and, and new. And uh, like I said, I'm very pleased uh, that I've had the great pleasure to, you know, get to know you and enjoy the things that you do. And then, like I said, as I mentioned earlier, as we opened, I was reminded with recent events just how much I value you as a person, uh, as an asset to the, the draft community, and as a friend. So it is good to know that you and yours have come through this recent uh, situation unscathed. So very pleased about that also. Uh, we will do this again. Oh, okay. Other things. One last thing, I guess. Um, I know a lot of people will point to Josh Allen's 9 of uh, 24 for 64 yards and one interception and either use it as a, you know, opportunity to point out what a flawed prospect he is or to point out how, you know, poor his, um, his what do you call it, his um, uh, supporting cast is or whatever, but I know the work that you've done has pointed out, not that supporting cast means nothing, but. But here's all I'll say about Josh Allen, okay? Because I've I've made my presence as thought as best as I can without having getting, you know, hate mail every every single week, at least. I get it about once a month. Um, Instead of a week. I can't do a week. A week's too much hate mail. Uh, I'm just saying, like, you know, I can't get hate week every single week, but. Uh, with a guy like him, you know, based on all the, the data work I've done, and I went back really far, Bill, 1958, 1958 NFL draft class. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, that's like twice my age. It, it really is. Like, you take it my age right now, is. add it, and it's more than that. And I did all the the quarterback data, you know, the production stuff, basically, you know, the touchdown interception ratio, the completion percentage. I did error adjusted that way because I just think it's dumb to compare, you know, statistics from the eighties to today, because it's obviously like, if you look at Warren Moon's college statistics, you would and compare them to today. You go, wow, Warren Moon was terrible. But if you actually look at it within the context of his era, he actually was a Peyton, you know, Peyton Manning level uh, production guy back in the, you know, back in his time period. Um, and when I did this process, Josh Allen, in the era in which he's playing, like right now, um, didn't hit a starter threshold, meaning there's never been a long-term starting quarterback with as low of a production score that he put up at Wyoming. Um, and when, and it's not even getting above, like, average, we're talking 26. 26 was the threshold, now, 26 out of 100, which just tells you, because a lot of guys that are in that, 26 to 50, like Jake DeLome, you know, uh, you know, certain quarterbacks like that, that are kind of, and these are guys that had to develop, you know, these weren't like straight out of the box. Matt Hasselbeck was kind of a 49 guy, you know, he wasn't straight out of Boston college to pro bowls, you know, he had time, he had to develop, you know? Um, So a lot of these quarterbacks that became starters had to develop. So when you look at a guy like Josh Allen, it doesn't say that he, is going to be, uh, you know, doesn't have a shot to become a long-term starter. It's just that 
when you look at the data, and he doesn't hit the minimum threshold for becoming a long-term starter based on data. Um, his high school production, which I know I get a lot of flack about high school production, you know, Bill, but I published all my high school production data. Prove me wrong. You know, all the data is there. You know, like I, I put everything there. I published all of the stuff. So if you think I'm wrong, if you think I'm dumb for comparing, uh, looking at high school data and looking at all that to, to kind of come to some some standpoint of of uh, uh, information, maybe not basis, but just, you know, to have some sort of a uh, baseline, right? You know, all that stuff is published there. When you look at a guy like Josh Allen who doesn't hit the minimum threshold for becoming a long-term starter based on collegiate data since 1958, he doesn't hit the minimum threshold when it comes, when it comes to becoming a long-term starter based on high school data since 2007, and you, this entire summer, we were hyping him up as a top five, top ten quarterback this is why I cringe, you know, like this is, this is the, this is the disconnect. This is the issue is that I think the draft media, that not us specifically, but just the, the larger entity uh, gets too focused on trying to confirm a bias, which this year the bias is Josh Allen without looking at the facts, without watching the tape. And then now we're just, suffering at least they're suffering because of their you know their ability because josh allen is a developmental quarterback based on all my data i'm not going to say he doesn't have a shot but he's a guy that like matt hasselbeck like jake Delhomme, is going to need to spend two three four years even developing you know to get to the level of actually becoming a starter so that's all i i mean that's all i gotta say i mean i does josh allen have talent yes but Based on all the stuff that I've done, from the get-go, he should never have been considered a top-ten player. And I think it's kind of – I wouldn't say it's sad, but I just think it's really – he doesn't deserve – as a prospect, he doesn't deserve to have this much um, attention on him, you know? Like, he he barely – his first actual, like, FBS season was last year. Now he's going into his third season, and he's struggling, but it's – it just amazes me the disservice that a lot of people are doing to this guy because he's failing before he even gets a chance to develop, you know? Um, and I think that's my biggest sort of pet peeve with the draft media in general is that they, they form a narrative without doing all the research, without doing their own work. And then the narrative is proven false. And then they stick to that narrative and they keep sticking to that narrative. And then, you know, and then people don't know who to believe. And then, you know, then we get to the, you know, there's a lack of, I'm not going to say credibility, but the credibility starts to go down a lot when you keep pushing guys like Josh Allen and keep pushing players that you, that you really haven't done your own research on, you really haven't done your own work into to really make sure that you're, you know, that, that you understand the ramifications of what you're doing. Like, you're not taking responsibility for a guy like him um, when he fails, you know, because you don't have to take responsibility. You're a media person, you know. But I do think that media people do have to to at least show some responsibility, at least some awareness that, you know, when you say when you're trying to hype up a player that you at least think you think in your mind, okay, is this guy really going to be successful versus just throwing names out there? And and, because the the one thing I hate to see is whenever a guy, you know, 
gets hyped up and then he declares for the draft and he's not ready for the draft because he got bad information or he relied on a journalist who, who really isn't that great um, in terms of what he does. I, I just don't like that. So I just hope Josh Allen is a lesson that, that people need to, you know, form their own opinions, but not only that, just let these players play, you know, don't, try to push him because again Josh Allen was a guy that was rumored to want to come out last year you know and imagine how bad he's playing right now and imagine if he came out last year he would have been just done before it even started you know like so I just say it just amazes me and I'm not going to say that all the draft media is irresponsible but I just find it really irresponsible to do that to a guy like him because he doesn't really sure he's really talented sure it's fun for him to get attention from draft media but you know, he's not, the, he really is not the type, there's a real big disconnect between what's the reality of a guy like him as a prospect versus what the media thinks is the reality of him, which isn't the case. Yes. Um, what's the one I'm looking for? Scary, bothersome, uh, it just, I wonder, like I said, always what the, what's the rush? What's the hurry? What are, what do we think is going to happen if a guy? I mean, we waited for Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, and well, I mean, Tom Brady wasn't even considered really not that much of a prospect. But we waited. Uh, uh, Matt Ryan. We all. It's interesting to note that, with the exception of Aaron Rodgers, the guys who are considered to be legitimately elite in the NFL are four. Are guys who are four-year guys. Breeze all four years. Brady, all four years. Uh, both of the Manning brothers, well, of course, Peyton's retired now, but the Manning brothers were both four, all four years guys. Like I said, Rogers, you know, was a guy that was sort of a one-year wonder to some extent, spent two years in junior college and lit it up one year at Cal. So, you know, I guess he's, you know, sort of the exception, almost the exception that proves the rule, but amongst the elite quarterbacks, you know, if Carr makes it to that point, he, He'll be a guy who's all four years. Now, Jameis, obviously, will be another guy who's swimming upstream, being a redshirt sophomore, but he's not elite yet. Mariota came out one year early, but he was, was sort of. I mean, he was a, like like luck, he was a redshirt junior, so he really was a guy who graduated with his class. Uh, those guys aren't really early to me, but when a guy is a redshirt sophomore or a true junior or I don't know. Whatever. I don't get the. I don't get the push. I don't get the what the rush is about. Um, what? Like I said, what do we think is going to happen if a guy stays? What? what, what what's going to happen? What are we going to miss? He's going to get better, you know. And I think. Yes. Better, you know, yes, we always we always get these questions. You know, always get these questions about guys. Should they stay? Should they go? Should they go to the NFL? Should they? Do, you know, and they always bring up, well, what if you get injured? What if you get this? And, you know, again, it's part of football. You know, if you're worried about injuries, don't play football anymore. You know, and I'm not trying to say that as like, oh, well, you know, it's really serious. Yeah, it it is really serious. Football is a game. I mean, my brothers played it. I played it. You know, my brothers, you know, even play college ball, still have injuries that they still have from playing football. Like, it's a game that, you know, they didn't even play NFL football. They just played college football, you know. Um, So, it's it's the type of game where yeah, there's potential for injury, there's potential of death, um, there's all these kind of things. But you know, if if you're gonna play this game, if you're gonna 
if your if your goal is to be the best player that you can be, because my big thing about going to the NFL level, it's about making sure that you're as ready as possible to get to that level. Because you can't be a guy that goes there and is trying to figure out stuff while once you get there, because you're just not going to be like it's anything else. Like if you if you go into an environment where you're you're trying to compete with people who already know who they are and already know what they're good at and all that other kind of stuff, and you're still trying to figure stuff out, you're never going to be successful against those types of guys because they they already have their life. And it's, and it's just life in general as well. You know, like you're older, you've been through – like if, you, if you're if you a player in college, you know, if you've played college football for four years like a Peyton Manning or whatever, you know, not only have you grown as a football player, you know, you've also grown as a human being. You know, you've been through some stuff over that four years. Um, you know, you've matured a lot during that four years, most, most of the time. Um, and I just think that if you don't allow these guys to mature as players and to learn from their mistakes and to not be too overly critical when they make mistakes as well, um, you know, then I, I, it's, it's hard to grow. I mean, it's always hard for a quarterback to grow, but it's really hard when, you know, when you're a young player and you get criticized to the point of, you know, to death, you know, um, about stuff. So, I just think it's, you know, you're basically ruining them before they even get a chance to actually get a foothold. So, but I, you know, I don't know. I mean, Josh, Josh Allen to me is just, the big thing with Josh Allen is just, I think that there's just such a disconnect between just regular Joes. And I don't want to say I'm a, I'm a regular Joe and, you know, just regular Joes and just watch football and try to be objective, you know, as best as we can about it versus some other forces, other entities, if you will, I don't try to be conspiracy theory guy, yeah. but you know other entities that have other interests that are trying to push those interests, um, right? You know whether it's agents or you know whatever. And I just think that whenever you know, I don't know, you can tell. You know, there's a there's a lot of authenticity or inauthenticity when you have an agent trying to push a narrative or a headline, you can tell, you can tell, you know what I'm saying? Like you can tell a little bit, okay, this is a little inauthentic. And that's my big issue with Josh Allen is I think a lot of the, the push with him, um, especially last year, you know, with the push for him trying to come out and, oh, you should declare early and all these quarterbacks are bad, you know, he should come out. I just think that a lot of that stuff, the basis of it to me was inauthentic you know, more agent driven or whatever you want to say. And because of that, it just makes me feel kind of sick about it. You know what I'm saying? Cause the eight is the eight. Does the agent really have the best interest of this guy? You know, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't you yeah. know. Right. How much that. do they care about his growth? How much do they care about his development? Exactly. I, I'm with you. hundred percent agree with you. So yes. Um, I could not agree more. As I said, Jim, as always, it is a privilege and honor and a pleasure. I hope against hope that somehow he does come back for his senior year. I think he would grow tremendously as a person and as a player. Don't think it's going to happen. I I just I hope I'm wrong, obviously. And about to see, I guess, what Shea Patterson looks like with his number 20 on. Uh, <laughs> I love it because it takes me back to, you know, my God, what year am I watching again? But, uh, and I guess the Vultures will start circling soon around Lamar Jackson's draft stock as uh, 
it looks like Clemson's going to uh, to prevail as I thought they would. But uh, we will talk about the rest of this when we when we reconvene soon. Jim, as always, I I love the time we spend together. You are you're as good as it gets. I mean, it's I mean I, I I'm not just trying to blow your head up, but I know from talking to people who've worked in the NFL and a few even still work in the NFL that some of the stuff that you do is literally ahead of what some NFL teams are doing. Now that will probably change, I guess, as teams begin to maybe maybe <laughs> as teams at least begin to begin to uh it looks like at least uh every team claims now to have an analytics department. Uh but some of them I know are wildly what does it do? You know, what do they do? You know, because, again, I just explain it like this. You may have an analytics department. You may collect all the statistics, but do you have knowledge about that information? You know, are you getting knowledge from that information and actually using it to make decisions? You know, it's a 50-50 proposition, you know, and it's it's like with anything. And we've already talked about all the guys who didn't have success doing data and doing analytics and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know. It, 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 sure, you may have an analytics department, but what are they actually doing? You know, yeah. are they, well, that is, you know, that like, is what are you doing? Thing. Like, what exactly is it that you do here? You know, like, <laughs> that's the real question, because, you know, because I've heard, I've, you know, I've talked to some guys that I trust, you know, and they talk about what they do or what they did and, you know, and I just think, so it, it just seems like a waste of time. If, if, you, if you're just going to pay a guy to collect a bunch of numbers and give you a bunch of stuff just to confirm your own bias, then you shouldn't pay me to do that, you know? Like, if you're just going to keep your bias, then why even hire me to validate your bias? Because I just think there's a lot more of that going around than actually getting better, but, you know, based on data. So, but yeah. Right. Well, we shall see where this takes us once again. Uh, I look forward to the next time we get a chance to do this together, Jim. Thank you for your time, your talents, and your attention. We'll do this again in one week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.